Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Filmcast. My name is David Chen, and I don't need to go to a special beach to feel old. Any old beach will do. <laughs> wow. Joining me today is Devendra Hardwar. It turns out old is a secret sequel to Cocoon. What a twist. <laughs> Jeff Kanata. I'm excited to talk about a movie that gives truth to the phrase, life's a beach. <laughs> And joining us today for the very first time, he is, in my estimation, one of the most talented film critics alive today. Absolutely. He's also a senior film critic at Film Freak Central, Walter Chaw. Welcome to the Filmcast. How are you doing today, Walter? I'm doing well. And, 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 and for old, I would say, why doesn't their hair grow? Because if I let mine go for like a month, I look like the bassist of the Dr. Teeth Band. You know, you know, dead cells and whatnot. Yeah. Well, those are, of course, all references to the fact that we'll be reviewing M. Night Shyamalan's newest film, Old, today on The Filmcast. You can find more episodes of this podcast at thefilmcast.com. You can also email us for now at slashfilmcast at gmail.com. Uh, we'll also talk about some what we've been watching, get some weekly plugs for you. And in the After Dark, we got a Patreon mailbag for you. That's available exclusively to folks at patreon.com slash filmpodcast. But before I get into all of that, I want to make a few announcements. You know, I want to, want to get in uh, some follow-ups to some previous week's events. So let's dive into that, okay? Uh, on last week's episode of the show, I mentioned that I was recording the podcast from the Bay Area. Uh-huh. And I said, I said offhandedly <laughs> that I had traveled, quote unquote, across the country with yep. my family to be there. One, At which one point, man's offhandedly is another man's pointedly. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> At which point you two mercilessly mocked me uh, for using the phrase across the country. Sound, it sounded like a lot of effort. Mm-hmm, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I guess to me, like, I don't, dis- I don't discriminate between like North, South versus East, West. You know, like, sure, sure. To me, it's all across, it's all across the country, personally. But I guess, uh, literally, all of our listeners feel the same way you guys did <laughs> because I have been mercilessly mocked, yeah, for using that phrase. Well, it, Devendra, it, was, uh, it okay, sounds like our work is done here. <laughs> exactly. Every that's that's my goal. Every single episode. Every single you know message in response to anything I tweeted about or Instagram about was about how I had traveled across the country. Yeah, to, to do what well, I was doing that week. We had you know why don't we ask our guest what he feels the descriptor across the country would She'll refer be the to? Judge. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, that's a good, well, yeah. I mean, it seems like by day standard, across the country is just like any motion at all, <laughs> as long as it stays within the country. So, you know, if I went in my kitchen, I, I'm, I'm moving across the country literally. True. Literally. Um, literally. So, so by that standard, Dave, you're absolutely right. Yeah, thank you. You're very Vin- welcome. Sweet <laughs> by, vindication. By his standard, yeah. So next time my wife is like, honey, could you take the trash out? I'll be like, I'm not going to go across the country. <laughs> What took you so long? Well, I had to go across the country. <laughs> Indeed. Well, thank you. Thank you for that contribution, Walter Chaw. Appreciate that. But anyway, uh, I've been sufficiently chastened, is what I'm saying, okay? And no more, you know, talking about across the country or anything like that. Um, but, you know, <laughs> it, it, it's, it's given me a lot to think about. Give me a lot to mm. think about. So, Absolutely. Uh, okay. Yeah. Uh, the other thing I want to point out is, you know, sometimes like we make an announcement on the podcast, but like people skip around, they don't listen to every episode. And so this is the third week 
that I am going to announce <laughs> that we are no longer the Slash Filmcast. We are actually a, a new podcast, or not a new podcast, a, same podcast, but with a new name called The Filmcast yeah. at thefilmcast.com. The, the, the Slash portion of the title to the beach. That's you know, right. We just never That's saw right. it again. <laughs> That's right. And actually, uh, until this moment, I have not changed the name of the podcast in iTunes yet. Huh. Because uh, I, sometimes, like people organize the podcast like alphabetically, and uh, I didn't. I, we already changed the logo. I didn't want to change the name, and people like are looking for the mm-hmm. film cast. They don't find it in the normal place. But this is the week, guys. I'm changing it to the film cast this week. So just be ready, okay? It is the film cast from now on. And if it shows up in a different place in your podcast app, that is why. So uh, at the same time. I might really mess up saying the film cast because I've been saying the film cast by muscle memory for like 13 years now. And so like somebody pointed out last week that I introduced it as the slash film cast after dark for the after dark segment for our patrons. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I'm not proud of it. I'm ashamed, but, uh, it's like kind of writing your check, like writing the, the old year on your checks. You know, you kind of still do that for a while yeah. in the new year. So, you know, uh, I, I didn't even think about this whole uh, alphabetical thing until you just brought it up now. But now I just popped up my, uh, loaded up my phone and popped up my Overcast app. I use the Overcast yep. app for podcasts. And, and we're like those old, uh, you know, triple A towing or, you know, <laughs> yeah. quadruple A uh, roto routers. You know, we're the, like the, A Aronson <laughs> in the phone book. Yeah. <laughs> we had this prime location and we're willingly giving it up. Man, mm-hmm. we had mm-hmm. the the slash. You know, it it, it goes before any of the alphabet. Maybe yep. we, should, we, uh, we should do the dash film cast, guys. We should have been the dash film cast. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So anyway, we're, we're up there. We're up there. We're going to be demoted to basically the bottom of the list. And so just be ready. We are going to be the film cast from now on. Um, apologies. It's the same great show, different name later on in the alphabet. So uh, just be ready <laughs> for the change in your podcast app. Uh, okay. Speaking of changes. One thing I wanted to mention about the podcast is uh, I, I don't want to be too dramatic about this, you know, even though I tend to be overly dramatic about everything. Mm, mm. Um, but uh, we're going we're going through a lot of changes on the podcast and in our lives this summer. Um, first of all, we're taking some time off this like various members of the f- film cast are taking some time off this summer uh, because we're all workaholics. And uh, we actually decided, hey, we're reaching burnout levels of work. We need to take some time off. And so uh, you might hear some of us drop out of uh, an episode or two in the next uh, uh, five or six weeks. Sometimes right in the middle of the episode. Sometimes right in the middle of the episode. Yeah, sometimes (laughs) mid-word. Yeah. Mid-sentence, mid-word. Just know that this is all completely like planned. There's nothing happening in the broader sense of what's going on with the podcast. It's just that... Um, we all need a break and we're all taking vacation. And also, uh, one of us might be completing a cross country move. You used it correctly. You yeah. used it correctly. It's <laughs> like across half, the country. The block. across yeah. half the country, right? Across yeah. half the country. Uh, and so, yeah, we're going to need some time off to like deal with all these things. Uh, I will likely be making some, uh, you know, career related, uh, changes in the future, in the near future as well. So like, there's just like a lot of stuff going on. And as a result, uh, there will be like different permutations of us on the podcast. And also, reviews might be coming out a little bit later uh, than one would be used to. So as an example, next week, we would typically review The Green Knight. But in fact, we're going to review The Green Knight in a couple weeks. 
Um, the Suicide Squad review is going to come come a week later than we would usually do it and, and stuff like that. So just like be ready for that. Don't like uh, th- don't assume that it's like something bad is happening to the podcast or, or we're slipping or anything. It's all part of the plan. Um, but just wanted people we're to know. We're humans who need a break. Yeah, and yeah. it's we're basically humans. just going to be August, right? Yeah. Just August yeah. is, yeah. is where you know some of us are uh, moving or and or uh, taking a little vacations. So yeah, yeah it's going to be. So fun. yeah, just be ready, and we'll 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 keep you guys updated. Uh, you can also follow us on Twitter at the Filmcast Pod um, for updates about what we'll be reviewing when. So uh, yeah, and uh, finally, I wanted to uh, read this email. That Josh from Providence, Rhode Island, wrote into slash filmcastgmail.com. And I I would love to get Walter's perspective on this as well. So the email subject line is, am I trash for watching YouTube movie recaps? Uh, Josh writes in, dear filmcast crew, I've fallen down a YouTube rabbit hole and I need your judgment. I have found myself enjoying watching YouTube movie recaps. If you are unfamiliar, these are 10 to 15 minute YouTube videos where a text-to-speech program narrates a summary of a movie over clips. The automated voice sounds jilted and the script has frequent grammatical errors or uses very, very idiosyncratic language, and I kind of really enjoy them. I definitely consider myself a cinephile, but I do not enjoy horror movies and I intensely dislike jump scares. Feel free to mock my fear of horror. I learned that becoming old is just getting comfortable with not doing things for weak reasons. (laughs) I will usually only watch a movie if a friend that knows my taste in horror movies recommends it to me. And so my list of shame is filled with horror movies. Movie recaps have given me a way to engage with a whole genre that I've been missing. Film cast crew, I need to know, am I a self-spoiling garbage person? Or have I found a clever way to enjoy more movies? Best wishes, Josh from Providence, Rhode Island. Wow. So Josh is taking uh, movies... And watching YouTube, like what sounds like AI generated YouTube recaps of them <laughs> instead of watching the horror films because he, he doesn't like the jump scares. Is this a legitimate way to enjoy movies? And I, I'm just going to say right off the bat, like my, my perspective on this is, you know, it's kind of like reading Cliff's Notes. I don't think you have, if you read the Cliff's Notes, I don't think you have experienced the work. You know, sure. I don't think you've experienced the movie if you watch a YouTube recap. But if it's a way for you to learn about the movie or be part of the culture of movies uh, without needing to watch it because you don't want to or because you're too scared by them, I think it's completely fine. But I, mm-hmm. I, I don't think it's a replacement for yeah. the work. That's you're, get, you're getting a yeah. different experience, but it Correct. is something that gets you in the conversation. Uh, I, I just, yeah, you can't say you saw that movie. You've maybe read about them, right? You've heard about that movie in a sense. I know <laughs> right. people who uh, who used to read Wikipedia articles of movies or TV shows just to like get a sense of what they are. And then, um, you know, it's, it's a thing. It's a thing. People just like to inform themselves. I do think there are a lot of like great YouTube recappers these days and people like um, who, who uh, many of our YouTube friends uh, like Mikey Newman uh, who do great jobs of like diving into what makes movies tick. And honestly, I love watching a lot of those too, because they make me go back and want to rewatch a movie I've never seen or watch a movie I've never seen before. So that's how I approach those. So Walter Chaw, uh, can you tell us about uh, your opinion on using YouTube movie recaps? Well, I, I, I've never seen a YouTube movie recap. I don't know what that is. But as as he was, um, a, as Garbage Person was describing this, <laughs> I was uh, pinging on a few things. Like, you know, I ha, ha, had the old Kindle, 
where you could do like the the uh, text to voice thing. Mm-hmm. They used to love the Kindle reading me things with its AI because it doesn't understand punctuation and it doesn't understand pronunciation at all. Uh, so it sounds like Christopher Walken sort of reading to me, and I enjoyed that quite a lot. So I wonder <laughs> if it's like that. But the other thing that I was reminded of was when I was a kid, uh, I, I used to read the novelizations of the movies before I went to see them. Uh, you know, especially scary movies or movies that I thought w- might be scary. So I, I, I read the novelization of Aliens, you know, the night before I went to see it. I read the novelization of, of Gremlins, of, yes. of, yeah. of Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. You know, if, if you read the, the Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, it sort of fleshes out the short round character and it uh, re- re- reveals that the uh, thuggy temple is decorated with flayed human skins, mm-hmm. which you don't know in the in the movie until you read the book and then, you, and then the movie is that much more inappropriate for for a child but you know i I would do that because i was also (laughs) afraid but you know in in but but that didn't you know to to your point dave and and everyone that that it doesn't sort of substitute for that that experience but it did sort of obviate the jump scares you know that you know believe it or not there there are some interesting like novelizations of the friday the 13th movies at least the later ones where you read them and so I, i would read those and i would know how everyone was murdered um, before the movie, there, th- then I wouldn't be terrified of the jump scares, <laughs> you, you know. And and you know, as I get older, you know, I sort of weaned myself off of that, and I'm just sort of like pretty jaded now, I guess, at this point. Which you know, I've lost something. So I guess our our uh, our, our our reader has something there that he's pre- pre- some innocent part of himself that he's preserving. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, you, you know, I, it, it's it, it's a distinct experience. Not you know, it's. I don't know. Who am I to judge how someone else, you know, um, experiences the world, you know, but for, for, for me, it was reading those things and spoiling a movie for me didn't change the impact of the film. Um, but it did change the Mm -hmm. way that I I, I was impacted by the film. Absolutely. If that makes sense. Yeah. I did the same thing, Walter, by the way, like when I was a kid, like, I don't, did you guys have these, like the teacher would pass around like a scholastic, like book sheet, Right. And like you, you could order down. the books. Yeah, yeah. You could pre-order the books and there was no Amazon kids you had to wait for your teacher <laughs> to collect this piece of paper. And then you waited a month for that, you know, special box to arrive. And then uh, I think I did one of the Indiana Jones as well. And like, that's how I got all my goosebumps and stuff. But I, my family, we didn't really have theaters near us when I was growing up. So that was also the way I, I kind of experienced a lot of movies. Um, but then going back and rewatching them, they, it's certainly very different than the book. You know, I used to read novelizations uh, sometimes before I saw the film mm-hmm. because I my mom would take me to Barnes & Noble more frequently than she yes. took me to see movies. Yep. Right? So I would go to Barnes & Noble. I'd buy, like, a novelization of, like, Jim Carrey's The Mask or <laughs> Stargate. And I would just read the book, and it's just a fascinating way of like experiencing the movie, especially is that a, before you see the thing. Is that, <laughs> do they still do those? Yeah, they still make yeah. them. That, yeah. Yep. yep. There's novelizations of like any movie that would. There's like a novelization of Zack Snyder's Justice League that you could go read. <laughs> uh, I don't know about Justice League specific. Like it's it's not like they do one for every single film. Why well, would I pick um, one of the biggest movies <laughs> of that year? Like, is that? I don't know. I'm, yeah, I'm so curious. I don't know. Well, I, I, yeah, I, I think a lot of it has to do with like access to the screenplays and stuff and yeah. desire mm-hmm. to, to do that. It, it, you know, when you read the novelization for Aliens, which I highly recommend, you know, there, there's all this stuff that didn't make it into the film. Not, you know, not even the director's cut. There's a scene that's 
lodged in my brain from the book and not in the film where Bishop is taking, you know, he, he's making the trip to, uh, to connect a computer to a terminal closer to, you know, the, the broad, I don't remember the, the, the transmitter towers to, to guide in the dropship at, you know, towards the end of the film. And he's crawling through all of these like, you know, really tight pipes that would drive a human crazy because of the claustrophobia. That's why he, he, you know, um, volunteers to go. And I think there's a scene that sets that up in the film. And then in the book, it, sh- it, it has him going through the pipes and he stops at one point and he looks out through a break in the pipe and he observes the aliens and he marvels at their efficiency. So the, the, there's the stuff that's, I think, in the script or, or you know, just the, the product of whoever the novelist is. That, that is really um, fascinating, I, I think, for the, you know, the super fan or the scholar. You know, of course, there's the, uh, the, the uh, really notorious um, follow-up to Star Wars that was written as a novelization that has all of this stuff in it that, you know, a little bit of Last Jedi have uh, talked about it. But there, 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 there's a whole world of fandom and access in those old, I think, novelizations. Like um, Gremlins as well sort of reveals a little bit the, the origin of, 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 of the Mogwai. Um, yeah, the, the lead time on those novelizations probably means that they were dealing with earlier versions of the script or things that didn't make the final cut. Yep, exactly. um, but it, it's probably worthwhile mentioning here too that, Quentin Tarantino just wrote his own one of these yeah. yep, for Once yep. Upon a Time in Hollywood um, that that uh, reportedly, I haven't read it, but reportedly is quite good and uh, yeah. has a lot of extra stuff that fills in that world and makes it's the a, movie it's richer. Like a director's cut in a way in book form. Uh, to answer your question, Jeff, apparently there are novelizations for Man of Steel, Suicide Squad, and Wonder Woman, but not mm. Justice League. Yeah, yeah. Well, I see, I, my I birthday also... is next week, you yeah. guys. <laughs> Also, uh, the Star War- the new Star Wars movies all have novelizations as mm-hmm. well. And actually, I believe there's been some controversy over like what was in the novelization that wasn't in the film. So, uh, yeah. Well, it's, uh, it's important for us as we digress here to note that this is not at all what GP is talking about. Yes, uh, <laughs> correct, correct. Uh, yes. he's, but he, let me just say one last thing about novelizations, and then sure. I, want, I want to turn it over to you to answer the question, Jeff. Um, but... I do think it's just very odd in our society what we choose to give respect to and what we choose not to give respect to. Like, uh, if you are able to take a novel and transform it into a screenplay, you can get <laughs> freaking awards for that. It's going to be a huge deal if you do it well. But the opposite process, for some reason, is not as widely respected, right? Like, <laughs> it's, it's often looked down upon artistically, even though it is arguably just as difficult, if not more difficult. Uh, and so I just think it's a little weird. It's a little weird that like we honor one and we don't really honor the other as much. And I think we should. Okay. Anyway, uh, Jeff, <laughs> what are you, are you pitching a future novelization here, Dave? <laughs> like, are you just preparing us for your yes. novelization I'm, of I'm, a movie that you love? I'm laying the track for my next project, which is a novelization. <laughs> of it is old. funny. Um, it is funny that you yeah. would, you would, you would imagine that the criticism for a novelization of a film like star Wars or whatever is that it's a sort of a crass cash grab, but there is nothing that is more a ca- a crass <laughs> cash grab than turning a popular novel into a film. Mm-hmm. Like that is mm-hmm. the definition mm-hmm. of yeah. a cash grab. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's yeah. taking a novel, which can, yeah. pro- is probably read by you know the be- the biggest novels right now are like what fifty thousand people maybe you know, yeah. and uh, and turning it into a you know f- film that is aimed at millions of people. And a lot of those are also looked down upon. I'll say like not everything is gone girl, you know? Right. 
Well, Jeff, did you have any thoughts on... Uh, and honestly, reading this question reminded me of a tweet you made recently about playing video games on easy mode. Mm. Uh, and it just actually it's not it's not a perfect analogy but it's like yeah, yeah. there there was was it a insomnia the, the psychonauts guys they were like yeah they're gonna have, a, two is gonna have a, a, yeah. a, a mode in their game that you can play like basically that you don't need to fight anyone you can just like enjoy the story is that did i get that yeah right, you'll or? be invincible basically yeah. and, and you can't die and, and yeah well I, I think that muddies the water quite a bit dave because i mean perhaps these youtube videos are there for accessibility that's yeah I, that's an angle that i hadn't really considered and maybe true and maybe some folks need these uh youtube videos uh, because they're unable to experience the film in its uh original form but uh very much that's the case with um with video games and i i i i think that <laughs> the muddies the water quite a bit to bring up that thing because i don't think it applies here so much um, but I'm definitely a defender of easy mode in video games. Mm-hmm, I think the, mm-hmm. the uproar about putting an easy mode in video games is God. stupid. How, how uh, many of those people owned a game genie growing up? Like, go ahead, Walter. Right. Well, and also, I mean, the point, the, the tweet that Dave is referring to is that, mm-hmm. you know, the, the same people that decry an easy mode in a video game are the same ones that are rushing to Reddit yep. to figure out how to solve a puzzle or to yep. maximize the build of their character or figure something out that they didn't put the effort in to figure out themselves. So what's worse, the the easy mode for your fingers or the easy mode for your brain? Like there's no, <laughs> for some reason, these folks think that there's a distinction there and I think that there is not. But that's, I think, a completely separate issue. Uh, what, what GP is talking about here is, um, you know, I don't want to, like everybody has mentioned, I don't want to yuck anybody's yum, right? If, if this is how you experience movies and you're enjoying it, more power to you. And I actually think Walter is onto something that it sounds like the subtext of this letter is such that there is something else going on here. There's like some sort of uh, tactile uh, joy that is gleaned just from the robotic Mm. voice itself. And believe me, I'm a guy that watches a lot of ASMR, man. It relaxes me. It makes me feel very good. And I could listen to some, I watch ASMR videos of somebody talking about something that I have almost no interest in. You know, oftentimes it's just about the tenor of the voice, the timber of the voice, the the nature of the delivery. I can hear, I watch, uh, I watch people like drawing maps uh, on an ASMR and mm-hmm. it relaxes mm-hmm. me at the end of the night. I enjoy it. I watch those YouTube videos. So I don't want to yuck anybody's yum, but I think we can all agree it's not the equivalent of watching a movie, but if, you know, if he's not going to watch the movie anyway, and he wants to understand the sort of the substance of the story of the movie. Bah, all right, whatever. But it isn't, I don't think this is, it, it, it is not going to convey what is special about a movie. If, you, if you're like, boy, I'm sure curious why people like this movie so much. I'll go listen to a description of it. I don't right. think that's going to convey what's special about the movie. Um, Indeed. But, you know, I think by the same token, you know, a lot of the stuff that you're talking about in terms of access and, 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 and enjoyment is, is raised by, by, by this question where you say, you know, I, do, do you love horror films enough to say that, the, that, that, that people should have an access to them? You know, I, I mean, there, there, there are films like, you know, I Spit on Your Grave or, or, or Irreversible where I don't think it, I'd be hard pressed to watch them again. I'd be hard pressed mm-hmm. even to recommend them, even if I think they're important, which, which I do. You know, I, I, you, we could place these things or, you know, Last House on the Left. You know, we can place these things in a historical context where we say, 
you know, it's really an important film. You should watch Trouble every day. I can't really recommend that you do. It's going to make it miserable. <laughs> it'll, it'll, you know, it'll yuck your mellow. You know, it, it, it's not, it's not cool for me to tell you to do it. But right, right. Y- you know, it, it, there's value to it. And and if I believe that the value of the film is visceral, then yeah, you got to watch the movie. Sorry, there's no way around it. But if there's a movie that's valuable because of its theme, or it's valuable because, like, you know, in the company of wolves is actually valuable because of what it says about, you know, sexual gender politics, you know, as they relate to whatever, you know, sexual violence. And so is it actually really valuable to, to, to direct someone who just hates horror films and say, I get it. You should watch this 20 minute breakdown of it um, and decide for yourself if you want the visceral part of it, but the conversation that you could have, you know, outside of the visceralness of it is valuable. Is you know the uh, David Cronenberg's Fly, I think, is, is like a really key example of that in mm-hmm. my mind. Where it's like, what an amazing, romantic, um, devastating love story that happens to be one of the most disgusting movies ever made. So, <laughs> you know, if if we want to talk about the visceral of it, you got to watch it. There's no way around it. But if we want to talk about instead, you know, what it means to love somebody through disease and aging, you know, a clever segue everybody um <laughs> that then in, in, in fact if you watch this 20 minute video with the asmr robot voice talking about you know and then seth brundle you know that that would be there's actually i think some value to it so um yeah i i i guess i don't have any solutions for you know an ultimate yes or yay or nay but i, I do think there's value in some of these films anyway of having the conversation without the visceral um impact of it if that's what is yeah, keeping you away I, from I, it I completely agree, but I I, I think uh, I, I think we've kind of settled this argument, which is that uh, Josh is not a garbage person. It's just a different way to experience uh, to learn about a movie, not really mm-hmm. experience a movie. Yeah, and that's completely fine. Well, so, he's not a garbage person for this reason. Yeah, for this reason. I mean, maybe he's a piece of shit for other reasons, but we don't <laughs> we don't know about that. We don't know. So, all right, uh, why don't we move on, folks? This episode of the Filmcast is brought to you by Mubi a curated streaming service showing exceptional films from around the globe. Every single day, Mubi premieres a new film. From iconic directors to emerging auteurs, there's always something new to discover. And with Mubi, each and every film is hand-selected. It's like your own personal film festival, streaming anytime, anywhere. I'm telling you, if you are a true cinephile, you've got to see Mubi. There are all kinds of films that are groundbreaking, that you won't really find anywhere else. And they're categorized, so they're easy to come to. Adaptation section, I'm I'm browsing over here, has Martin Eden, the Italian film from just a couple of years ago that was so lauded based on the Jack London novel. A Man Called Ove, based on that, that book. I loved that book. Oh my gosh, this is the Swedish version from 2015. There are documentaries, including a movie called Los Angeles plays itself, which is fascinating. The list goes on and on and on. And you don't have to take my word for it. You can try Mubi free for 30 days at Mubi.com slash filmcast. That's M-U-B-I dot com slash filmcast for a whole month of great cinema for free. Timeless classics, award-winning masterpieces, and festival fresh gems. Discover hundreds of great films Handpicked, streaming anytime, anywhere. 
Mubi.com slash filmcast will get you a month for free. Let's get to what we've been watching. Uh, I want to bring up a couple quick things I've been watching. I had a chance to see Snake Eyes G.I. Joe Origins. Yeah, you did. Which is a movie that did not do well at the box office this weekend. <laughs> I cannot imagine why that, you know, this movie about a character that most people barely know, that no one was asking for, that cre- presents an origin story that, you know, is not something that is particularly canonical or well-known, mm-hmm. why this movie would do badly. How um, dare you? How dare you? <laughs> I wanted to be Snake Eyes when I was a kid. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah. Ninjas. I wanted to I wanted to be Storm old. Shadow or Snake Eyes, and I specifically asked my mom if she if she would enroll me in karate classes so I could become a ninja. And she, because she's an awesome mom, enrolled me directly in gymnastics. <laughs> wow. Nice. Yeah. So, I mean, that's just as good. Yeah, you so, need to be limber and do yeah. gymnastics to be a ninja. So your your mom's yeah. spot on. Um Origins in the movie title. Never a good sign, right? <laughs> Never a good sign. When will people stop making movies with the term origins in the movie title? Yeah. Um, Talk to Wolverine. Didn't work yes. out well for him. Yeah. I, I mean, uh, so, guys, the movie's pretty rough. I mean, it's, it's, I'm very torn about this, right? Because it's nice to see a bad, like, not only one, but several badass Asian people headlining an action movie that's meant to be a blockbuster yeah. and people like, i like you know yeah, yeah. That, that is just rare to see and so inherently i want to support such a thing when it happens but my level of support has limits <laughs> and sadly the movie is not very good i think henry golding is completely fine i think he's a talented guy and he's really just at the beginning of his career i remember uh, i had a chance to hang out with henry golding a couple years ago uh, before Crazy Rich Asians came out, he and John Chu were in town. I think they were giving a talk at Amazon, and I like messaged John Chu, and I was like, "Hey, do you want to like uh, hang out for a little bit?" And we got to hang out, and like no one knew who the hell Henry Golding was at that time. And, like he was like he, he was mm-hmm. handing out free gift cards to Starbucks at Pike Place <laughs> Market, and see, you know, trying yeah. to like drum up interest in Crazy Rich Asians. And now he's and- Snake Eyes. Amazing. <laughs> now he's Snake Eyes. All right. Well, I mean, Crazy Rich Asians was hit, and he's also done well yeah. in like movies like uh, what Simple Plan, and uh, I even liked him in The Gentleman, which you know was a problematic movie for reasons that don't relate to him. Yeah. Um, how many uh, how many free gift cards to Starbucks did you get for seeing Snake Eyes? Uh, you know, none actually. What? The answer is zero. Aww. Uh, Paramount spent eighty eight million dollars making this film. <laughs> didn't spend enough of them on free Starbucks gift cards. <laughs> Got walled um, by old, apparently. So yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so here, here are some of the problems of this movie. Uh, I'll just list like a few of them. Number one, the tone is all over the place. It's like a gritty revenge movie. Um, I'm going to tell you what happens at the opening of the film. Okay, uh, the, Henry Golding's character's father is is like they, there's a home invasion and like this guy is after his father he's like this ruthless he, he's seeing he kind of presents like a mob boss but he's kind of working for other people more nefarious and he's like it, you know roll this dice and if you roll the wrong die like dice roll oh, no. we're gonna kill you and he the father rolls the dice and he rolls snake eyes so then they, oh, they, no. they execute mm. him and then they try to kill henry golding's character himself but he gets away so then he names himself Snake Eyes because of that? 
Which is like, listen, what does Batman do? Okay, his father didn't roll a you know like a pair of fives or something because it would be really annoying for him to be like, I'm a pair of fives. Yeah, or he could have been Snake Eyes. Basically, could have been hard eight. uh, Is what his name could have been. And uh, so then it's like fast forward thirty years into the future, and basically like there's a whole thing. I'm not going to get into it, but uh, it's just weird that. His name is the thing that was the die roll that killed his dad. You know, would you would you name yourself something that killed your dad? Anyway, well, it's uh, like Christian's wearing the cross, isn't it? It's a little strange. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, I mean, it's, it's equally point. bizarre, is what I would Very say. Very good that, point. Right? Yeah, um, the, the, I, there is a lot of Christ-like imagery in this movie. So, uh, <laughs> I'm I'm heart disease. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so the uh, the action scenes, uh, the problem is like, he spends the rest Stand of the movie- Stand back, I'm high cholesterol. <laughs> he spends the rest of the movie trying to get the guy who killed his dad, right? Like, that's his whole motivation. So this is kind of gritty revenge thriller, but then the, the rest of the movie is so goofy. Like, it's just very silly in some of its plot mechanics. And so it's just the the tone is just a little bit all over the place. At one point, so that we're getting into minor spoiler territory, uh, Snake Eyes is trying to become part of this Japanese clan, right? And they're like, you you must go through three tests to be part of this Japanese clan. And these are by far the dumbest tests I've ever seen, like in any movie of this kind. Um, test one, for example, is. Uh, Iko Uwais from the Raid movies is holding a bowl of water and he gives Henry Golding a bowl of water and he's like you must take away my bowl of water before I can take away your bowl of water and if you fail more than three times or if you fail four times you you lose the you lose the test and so Henry Golding fights Iko Uwais and tries to take the bowl of water and he fails three times and then Henry Golding remembers something that someone said to him right before the test he's like you must humble yourself you must approach these tests with humility so then he goes to Iko Uwais and he's like Sir, may I have your may I have your bowl of water? And he, <laughs> he just gives it to him. And in exchange, I offer you mine. <laughs> and that that is the test. That was the solution. That's just the solution. Be, be polite. Ninjas but, are nice, didn't you know? But it gets <laughs> good manners. So I'm gonna yeah. I'm gonna just get. This is like a subplot in the movie. It's not the whole thing. But basically, the third That's, test. That is, is so rad. <laughs> the, I kind of love that. The third just test is be they nice, throw. Dude. The third You're test is they throw him into movie. a pit with these massive anacondas and the anacondas can read your mind and detect if you are pure of heart. Mm, My understanding is that they don't want none unless you've got buns on. (laughs) So they throw him into this pit and then basically these anacondas like confront him. And if he is pure of heart, then they eat him. And if he's not, then they they don't, or, you know, if if he's pure of heart, then they don't eat him and and vice versa. So just have to say shout out to Jeff for that really quick, quick response. Yeah. no, (laughs) Perfect. So perfect. So anyway, these are really dumb tests. And I, and so that, that is pretty disappointing. And then that's the entire movie, right? Like that's, that's a subplot of the the action. The action of the movie is also just like, okay. You know, like, there's I've been watching a lot of Jackie Chan recently. Obviously, those mm-hmm. are incredible. I was just watching a Jackie Chan movie called uh, The Myth, which is a terrible, terrible movie. It's available on Amazon Prime. I bought it. I blind bought it. It's awful. The dubbing is, is awful. The visual effects are awful. But there is a fight scene that takes place in a rat glue factory. 
<laughs> that is incredible because it's like the, the, he fights these dudes on a rat glue conveyor belt and i'm just like that is so creative like it's such a creative thing and the execution is really well done and the movie is very bad and offensive but it's like the action still delivers uh snake eyes I, you know i'm struggling to remember any action sequences from that movie and i just saw it like you know five days ago mm-hmm. do you remember that bowl thing <laughs> it's true, it's true. <laughs> i've never seen that before so that's why <laughs> At the end of the day, it's and also I'll just say as an origin story, it's it's a bad origin story. Like it doesn't explain any of Snake Eyes's like identifying characteristics, why he wears the suit that he wears, why he's silent and doesn't talk. Like none of that stuff is explained in the movie. Mm-hmm. So it's like, <laughs> what was the point of any of this? <laughs> well, is rat the name, glue, glue that you use to glue rats together, or is it? No, it's glue like that's for rat glue of... traps. You know, right, like right. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So. Oh, Which, I'm way, glad you asked that humane... question because I thought it was glue made from rats. No, yeah, no, 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 yeah. no. no. Uh, like it's, horse it's, glue. It's I had glue not that is used option. in rat traps. Which, by the way, not a humane way to kill rats. I'll just put that out there. Um, <laughs> use like a mouse, what, mouse trap. Of what's about a time in Hollywood? I guess. Yep. It's, uh, it's enough of it that they need a whole factory. I guess. Yep. 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 <laughs> so anyway, Snake Eyes, Jaja Origins, kind of a disappointing movie, uh, and I think. Henry Golding is really talented, and I hope that he does well after this, but I can't believe Paramount spent $88 million on this movie. By the way, it doesn't look like it costs $88 million as well. It looks like it costs like $40 or $50 million. Mm-hmm. And it just it makes me sad that this movie is not good and didn't do well. So I mean, that's, uh, that's most of the G.I. Joe movies too, right? Except for maybe the first one. which I, think I don't think I could name. Yeah. I don't know how many G.I. Joe movies there have been. <laughs> I don't know. I, I I know that there. I know the Rock was in one as Roadblock, right? But and I saw. I think I've seen at least two of them. But I don't. It's a weird franchise because it doesn't feel like a franchise. Yeah. It, it's, yeah. It, it, I, I'm it's, gonna say that GI Joe: Rise of Cobra. I actually we I reviewed it on the podcast, and at the time I was like, this movie's terrible. Um, but I have fully come around on it. I think it's awesome. It's really really fun and very very silly. And actually, I think captures the correct tone of what a movie based on a toy line should be. Sure, sure. Uh, and I actually think it's a lot of fun. So it if had you're a good trailer. It, I do remember that trailer being awesome. But, yeah. Well, the trailer for G.I. Joe Retaliation was also awesome. It had this yeah. remix of Seven Nation Army, and uh, it, it, that was an awesome trailer as well. So they both have awesome trailers, but if you're going to watch a G.I. Joe movie, check out G.I. Joe Rise of Cobra. <laughs> sure. Uh, so, not Snake Eyes so, G.I. Joe Origins. So, so Dave, did, did this movie feel to you like a... Um, a, a, an attempt to cash in on on, on representation or, or, or diversity is it like a response to Milan or something to say, "Hey, look, uh, <laughs> those guys across the street are doing the, this thing for this market. Should we may, maybe do something with that Golding? That, that, I, that I think handsome that young Golding man. I think we're seeing <laughs> this trend of studios wanting to remake old IP with. Uh, more cultural sensitivity. So you have Aladdin, The Lion King, Mulan, and now Snake Eyes, I guess. Although that's a much smaller movie. Uh, where all those movies were originally made with with largely casts of white people. And now we're, they're kind of like trying to like undo the sins of the past. The problem is that these movies add very, very little artistically to those stories. And in this case, it adds more stuff than like The Lion King did, but <laughs> what it adds is not very good. So I, I, I think I think on some level, I appreciate that they're trying to say like, hey, 
I, I do think there's some value in having a snake eyes that's Asian or having, you know, um, uh, an Aladdin that's, you know, played by somebody of Middle Eastern descent, you know, right, um, right. but I just wish the movies were better. Right. So that's, that's my yeah. issue with it. You know, so. I guess where I'm coming from a little bit is like this stuff doesn't feel representative to me. I mean, if you have like another <laughs> movie with an Asian guy that knows Kung Fu, I'm not sure that I'm not sure I haven't seen that before. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. or like Mulan or the Kung Fu show or something. It's like, are you saying this Asian also knows Kung Fu? That that's that doesn't feel <laughs> to me like a giant leap forward. And you know, it, unless Robert Schwinke is is a little bit Asian, or or, or you know, any of the screenwriters, the the mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. you know, Evan Spilatopoulos, uh, Topoulos. Um, if those guys are Asian, great. You know, we're getting a little bit closer to some kind of representation where we don't have this sort of like, you know, you must humble yourself before my bowl of water if you have pure <laughs> of heart, you know, and your honor is not whatever. It's like, I just, enough. You know, I felt like that when I was playing that Ghost of uh, Tsushima, Tsushima yeah. Uh, yeah, game too, which is gorgeous visually. And boy, if you played a drinking game with every time someone said honor in that, <laughs> yeah, you, you, would, yeah. you would be dead before you got past the first, you know, uh, uh, village. So there's, there. Uh, I, I don't know that it, it's helpful mm-hmm. for us to keep seeing these same representations of Asian people right. over and, and over and that, over. That, that really it is, it is in the strictest definition of the word representation, but like, is it helpful representation? Unclear. I don't know. I'm a little bit, maybe less, slightly less cynical than you. Uh, and I am quite cynical. Um, I think, you know, it's just, it's, it's valuable in and of itself to have someone like Henry Golding, uh, headlining a movie like this, you know, like I actually think that is progress, but I I can agree with you, maybe not much. So, um, anyway, that's Snake Eyes GI Joe Origins. It's out in theaters right now. Um, I want to talk about one of the most incredible reality television shows I've ever seen in my entire life. It's called is it, Alone. Is it, is it Sexy Beasts? <laughs> no, I actually, so actually, well, I'll have to talk about Sexy Beasts another time because we're actually we're already running long here. Because it's so much fun talking to Walter about novelizations and Snake Eyes. Um, but I want to talk about Alone. Season 7 is available on Netflix. Seasons 1 through 7 are available on Hulu. And I watched Season 7 on Netflix. And the premise of the show is, uh, for Season 7, is they drop 10 people into the Arctic with 10 items of their choice. And if is any one of them, them a plane concern- ticket out of the Arctic? <laughs> ten, 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 like items of a you know uh, from a predetermined list of their choice. And if they can survive one hundred days, they receive the people who survive one hundred days receive a million dollars. And this show, on the one hand, is uh, I- I'm like. It's dangerous. Like it, it's like yeah, pe- their insurance can, uh, bills must be very high to make well, sure. Yeah, the people I, that don't survive a hundred days get death. I yeah. guess they, they, everyone has like a satellite phone and they can do something called tapping out, where they call the number and then they're like, "I'm I'm tapping out," and then yeah. a helicopter comes in and gets them. You can't right? really do that as you're freezing to death, you know. Like, well, that, this is the thing: is like these yeah. people engage in activities that like could kill them, like like going ice fishing. You know, if someone fell in the water while they're ice fishing, they would die. Um, and there's nothing there because they are actually like alone for 99% of the time. Like no one can, t- can help them Wait, the um, camera crew isn't there though. Well, th- this is the thing that's so fascinating is everyone is given a camera, uh, and they film themselves doing all of their activities. And then the <laughs> show is assembled 
using the footage from the cameras. Now, I've done some reading about this. Apparently, like people do come in at night when the people are sleeping or whatever and swap out the camera batteries. So like it's not like they're completely <laughs> alone. Um, do they but... check vitals? Like well, yeah, and, and how far like, does this text... go? I, there's a text every day. I think that's like, how are you doing? And like, I think people watch the tapes to see like how how people are doing. Um, but it, it, this I is... can't believe that that, that seems mm-hmm. that seems untenable as a. Yeah. It, yeah. it totally does. It totally seems like this show should not be legal. Exactly. Right. So um, I, I, I can't th- believe we're talking about the show. This is my second favorite reality show of all time. Alone, I love <laughs> them. I've watched every single season of them. And you know, to your point, there there are vi- you know they do check vitals in earlier seasons where. If they've dropped below a body weight, they become yeah. dangerously weak because they're not eating enough fat. They're not eating enough whatever. They will evacuate them. They'll say, "I'm sorry, you lose." Even if they're saying, "No, I'm fine. I, I'll yeah. eat more." It's like, "Nope, you're out." But, you know, so they do sort of take some pains not to kill anybody, but it's going to happen. I, you know, <laughs> season eight or nine, someone's going to just going to die. But um, it is it is extraordinary. I love the show. It's it, it's incredible because. You are basically these. Every one of the ten contestants in season seven is a trained survivalist, right? Um, but they all have like different approaches. They all have different priorities, right? And you're watching like literally what you need to do to survive: build shelter, hunt for food, and by the way, not just any food. Um, you need to have like protein and fat, and if you don't have both, you will suffer, and your body will shut down if you don't have enough things. And there, people are like rationing their calories they're like okay i'm eating this rabbit today which means i have enough calories to perform this much work you know to move this many logs of wood for my shelter you know they're rationing it to the caloric level uh and it it really just changed my perspective on the world and like what (laughs) we need to live like survive and like yeah it's it's a profound experience yeah let me ask you this question you you both have have Totally sold me on giving this a shot. Yes. Do I start with season seven or do I go back? Well, season seven, I think, is the first season that did that premise of if you survive 100 days, you get a million dollars. I think previous seasons were like, uh, you just need to be the last one standing. So the 100 days is like, uh, as far as I know, no one had ever made it that far uh, in the show. And so that's like. If if anyone makes it 200 days, which I will not reveal whether that happens in season seven, uh, that is obviously like a massive accomplishment, right? And so um, I had no problem starting with season seven. One thing of season seven is like they will refer occasionally to things that have happened in previous seasons. Like, oh, this is the first season you had watched. Yes, but uh, okay. Walter Chaw, like, do you have any? Like, I think my understanding is some seasons are better than others. I thought season seven was awesome. I would wholeheartedly recommend anyone start with that one. But do you have any opinion? Yeah, so since they're all available, I would highly recommend that you just start with season one. It, it, really? it is a compelling view all the way through. There's a dude, I can't remember which season it was, maybe season five, who I think could have lasted for a year out there. He was just <laughs> unbelievable. But, you know, the, it, 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 it isn't just showing them, like, you know, when you watch shows like Naked and Afraid, it's really just watching people starve to death for 30 days. You know, they're, 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 they're not surviving. They're just not dying yet. And then they get evacuated. But Alone is really about building a shelter. And they're, 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 there's a season where one of their shelters burns down. And what what is the uh, toll and consequences of that, you know, for that person? There's, you know, the they have to deal with predators. There are seasons where bears are, are, like, actually circling the camp or wolverines in some of them. So it's really, you know, I... I, I it's almost like ASMR for me to have those on. I I, I, I kind of play them when I when I'm when I'm writing. You know mm-hmm. the, the 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 other reality show that does it for me is is called Solitary, 
And that's a little bit harder to find. You can find it on like, you know, other streaming platforms and stuff that are maybe not 100% legit. But it was on that really short-lived Fox game show, Fox reality uh, channel. And Solitary just like has like these eight people who are in these isolation cubes. They're in solitary confinement and a computer talks to them, a computer voice. And it gives them tasks. And they don't know how their peers, just like in Alone, are doing. So they don't know when they tap out if they're the last one standing or or not. So it's, it's really kind of this, uh, you know, mind game that they're playing against themselves, they're, these endurance tests that they're playing against themselves. And um, it's, uh, you know, something about it in the life of the writer, I guess, appeals. But it's, uh, you know, <laughs> I, I, I would recommend that you start with Alone Season 1. It, they're all there. Um, yeah, I can't believe you brought it up, Dave. They're, they're really, it's really life-affirming. Right, writing the life of a writer versus alone. One of them is a completely solitary experience where you're just putting stuff out into the universe and hoping someone hears it. And the other one is is uh, writing. Well, how, how does the joke go? Anyway, you guys know what I'm saying. <laughs> Not um, like that. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I'll, I'll say that my big takeaways were that, uh, like, the whole time you're watching it, you're like, how would I do in this situation and i'm pretty sure i would have tapped out after about six hours um (laughs) but it also inspired me to like i'm like there's like there's actually some of these people in alone season seven that teach survivalist classes near me Uh and i'm like maybe i'm gonna take one of these because i'm like you're you're just preparing for what's happening in the next 10 years to be honest like it it just is like there's there's like basic skills that Mm -hmm. feel like they would be useful at some point um things like how to start a fire you know i don't know how to do that right now and so uh it it really inspired me but it also like makes you understand like how lucky we are uh to live in society where like we have easy access to fat (laughs) you know like (laughs) we have easy arguably too easy shelter and warmth you know and it's just like uh, but you know, two, two, three hundred years ago, that's not how people lived at all, and mm-hmm. uh, and basically, America. kind of as a reminder, <laughs> easy yeah. access to fat. Yep. <laughs> well, tr- trust me, dude. W- once you watch the show, you're going to understand how important it is. So I'm into it. I can't wait yeah. to check this out. I recommend you check it out. It's alone. It's on uh, Netflix season seven and Hulu. Uh, that's what I've been watching this week. Hey, let me jump in here and tell you about our sponsor, Faraday. Oh man, it is summertime. I love summertime. Gotta look your best. Gotta look your best for the summertime. That means new threads. Yeah, I'm moving. I'm moving to an entirely new state. And that means I need to upgrade my wardrobe. Convince people that I actually have taste and style. And that's where Faraday comes in. They make the perfect clothes for summer. Faraday is a family-run brand making high-quality, timeless clothing with modern design and functionality. You know when you're searching for the ideal summer outfit, that that set, that shirt, or that dress that feels like you've had them for years? Maybe it's uh, an awesome print, and it fits so perfectly that it feels almost too good to be vintage, but you still look like it might be? Well, that's Faraday. I picked up a couple of awesome button-ups with these cool patterns. I'm telling you, these patterns are complex. They should be priced crazy high. That's eh, a little reference to I think you should leave season two. But I mean it. They, uh, these are phenomenal shirts that I, make me look way cooler than an, I have any right to be. Uh, cooler than I actually am. And the good news is Faraday is so confident in the quality of their stuff. They have a lifetime guarantee of quality. They'll replace or fix your clothes forever. 
How long? Forever. Wait, what about next week? Forever. How about 10 years from now? Forever. What part of forever do you not understand? No matter what. Forever and no matter what. That is a guarantee of quality. And to top it all off, Faraday is giving Filmcast listeners 20% off. 20% off. So stock up on all your clothes for summer right now. Head to FaradayBrand.com and use code FILMCAST at checkout to snag 20% off all your summer gear. That's code FILMCAST, F-I-L-M-C-A-S-T, at Faraday, F-A-H-E-R-T-Y, brand, B-R-A-N-D.com for 20% off. FaradayBrand.com, promo code FILMCAST. All right. Uh, we're running a little bit long here. Walter, can you hit us up with a few things you've been watching? Well, yeah, since it's my fault that we're running long, I, yeah, I'll just, <laughs> I've been watching a few weird, weird things. I've been watching uh, the second Space Jam movie. I, I, I watched Jennifer's Body, which I really discounted when it first came out. I didn't even mm-hmm. bother to review it. I just thought it was another one of those things. And uh, I watched it again a couple of weeks ago, just, you know, because of all the uh, uh, re-interest in it. And I was really blown away by it. I was blown away by the portrayal of, uh, of friendship between two women in it. I, I was blown away too by how unfair it seems like our culture was towards people like Megan Fox, people like Britney Spears. I, I was part of it, you know, as part of the, the wolf, the, the baying wolves there, you know, saying terrible things about these young women who are really victims of our culture uh, in so many ways that we're, we're learning about now and should have known that we should have known better. And I feel felt truly ashamed that, that I had been so dismissive of, 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 of that and uh, watching it again. I found something that was, actually kind of great you know, mm-hmm. i think jennifer's body is fantastic and you know some older movies too i've been watching uh, i watched the parallax view I hold on hold on hold on you, you kind of glossed over space jam and new legacy mm. uh, you said you liked this movie a little bit uh i did, I I did was... see you sort of defending it on twitter walter yeah so, yeah, yeah Please, I dig what in there. is the case for space jam and new legacy walter Chow? yeah you know I, I don't know that i would go so far as to say i i, I liked it you know i would say the same thing about like Chinese opera or, or Tyler mm-hmm. Perry. It's like, I, 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 I respect <laughs> that this is for someone and that someone's not me, <laughs> you know, I, or, or, you know, or telenovelas. I respect that there's an audience for this. It's not, uh-huh. not me. Um, but, you know, the thing that I did find interesting about Space Jam is that, you know, the easy place to go, and I went there when I first saw the trailers, is that, you know, you're recycling this, this decrepit, this archaic IP. You know, who, you're making a joke about the Matrix. It's not even a joke. You're just like showing the Matrix, you know, and you're putting Granny in it. Um, and it's like it's, it's like Shrek humor. It's not humor. It's just a trivia game for idiots. And so, I, you know, I, I was like, that's, you know, that's that's ridiculous. I'm not going to watch Space Jam. And then I watched it. And, and, you know, it occurred to me that this is an all minority creative team. You know, we, I was just complaining about Snake Eyes. That's not the case with Space Jam. And you have an all minority creative team. And. They're, they're, they're mining Warner Brothers IP, which is archaic, right? You know, I mean, what's their most, you know, marketable is probably Harry Potter. Now that's sort of tainted by, by, by its author. But, you know, the, the, here's an all-minority team mining Warner Brothers IP, probably looking for African-American representation in Warner Brothers IP. And they're coming up with The Matrix, and then they're coming up with Casablanca. That's it. And so there's actually something that's interesting happening on the margins here, that the IP that they're trying to actually, you know, push in this film is all imported. All of these actors, LeBron James, all of these people, they, they have a representative. Is, is it Sue Bird for, from the WNBA? I'm not saying that any of the movie is good. You know, I had a really hard time getting through it. I, it's not for me. But um, I 
do think it's interesting the attempts that were made anyway to be something of, you know, a, a, a revolution. And and it's like, it's not, it is what it is. At the end of the day, when Porky Pig is rapping, I, I understand how easy it is to elbow drop that, how, how stupid that, t- yeah, I get it. I yeah, get it, yeah. I get it. The when notorious P.I.G. Let's, right, be, let's be real you know, here. You know, when I was growing up, though, that, that character was Mel Tillis, the uh, country music legend, who had a stutter, and that was his thing. He'd go on, you know, hee-haw, and he'd stutter, and then he'd sing, and he has this beautiful singing voice, and he doesn't stutter when he sings. So when I was a kid, I had a really bad stutter, and I couldn't communicate at all. Uh, you know, my stutter was that bad. And so, you know, all the way through sixth grade, watching Mel Tellus gave me kind of hope that there was a way that I could express myself if I could only just find it. And so for a generation of kids, right, I don't know who they are. I don't know what what the issues are, right? If Porky Pig, who stutters terribly, all of a sudden is able to rap in a film that's made by a completely diverse creative team, I don't think it's without value. And I think we overlook, you know, it's easy to like slam dunk this. Definitely, guys, you know, definitely it's easy. It's it's such a big target, but there are things that it does that it, that other films don't do, and I don't like it. I had a hard time watching it. It's not for me, <laughs> I, but I don't think it's without value. And, and 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 I think that's the danger we get into when we are so quick to slam dunk something like that. And I think that's maybe how it ties in a little bit to, to me bringing up Jennifer's body is that it was really easy for me to slam dunk Megan Fox in two thousand nine. It's really hard for me to do that in twenty twenty one. Well, one of my favorite things about Walter Chaw is I can never predict what his opinion is going to be. <laughs> uh, and, but regardless of what it is, I appreciate no matter, that. Yeah. No matter how strenuously I disagree, like it's always worth considering what your views are on, on a movie, Walter. And so, appreciate you bringing the Space Jam and New Legacy Defense. Not one I agree with, but <laughs> it's one that I think is uh, is worth considering as always. So, mm-hmm. um, Space Jam, Jennifer's Body. Uh, what else are you watching this week, Walter? I rewatched the Parallax View. One of my Favorite movies of all time from 1974, the Alan Pakula film, the middle film of his Paranoia trilogy. I love it. I think it uh, is even more relevant today than, than, than it ever has been. There's a five-minute sequence in there that's sort of an experimental film that's testing whether or not you're a sociopath in, in, in the plot of the film. And, you know, it really what it is is it's a blueprint for radicalization for incels. Uh, you know, it takes insult, you know, and it, it, it rolls in, you know, comic book culture and homophobia and, and hatred for the other. Uh, really fascinating and contemporary film in that way. And um, I also watched uh, Who Can Kill a Child, the great Spanish horror exploitation film from 1976. Just sort of all of a theme, you know, I mean, kids should be mad at us for uh, what we've left for them. So, you know, mm-hmm. two films that from the 70s that are uh, more current today than ever. Uh, how did you watch those movies, The Parallax View and Who Can Kill a Child, by the way? Uh, Parallax View is streaming on, uh, I believe it's Amazon. You, you, you can get that. And I and I have the Blu-ray for both it on Criterion and Who Can Kill a Child has a Blu-ray too. Got it. Um, I actually watched, uh, I got a Criterion Blu-ray as well. I got uh, Blowout, um, the Brian De Palma. Oh yeah, what a great mm-hmm, movie. Also a great movie. Uh, I'm going to talk about that a little bit more on next week's episode of the, the Filmcast. Um, but... Thanks for sharing what you've been watching, The Parallax View and Who Can Kill a Child, in addition to Space Jam and New Legacy and Jennifer's Body. Jeff Kanata, what have you watched this week? Well, I had a chance to check out Gunpowder Milkshake on the old Netflix. Anybody else watch that? Sadly, no. Sadly, I'm I'm actually planning to check it out. I'd actually pitch this as potentially a main review on the the Filmcast at one point. Yeah, Yeah. we were were considering making it a main review, uh, and I think it would have been a really fun main review, actually. Um, 
I uh, I thoroughly enjoyed this movie. Um, it is. I think you could. I think you could call it a uh, feminist John Wick. Uh, it is. Uh, I think it, it wears that badge very proudly and, and as well it should. Uh, it is very much got John Wick style DNA uh, about uh, a a group of assassins that operate by special rules and have special locations that are set up with special rules. It, it, in the same way that John Wick uh, creates its world with these sort of fantastical notions of 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 a uh, of a uh, an assassin's code, uh, Gunpowder Milkshake does the same thing, uh, but shakes it up in the sense that it is um, it is very much about the women that inhabit this world and their fight against the men that inhabit this world. Uh, the cast is incredible. Um, if you think, you know, if, if you think watching 50 plus year old Keanu Reeves uh, kick ass is fun, wait until you see 50 plus, or well, I don't even know, I shouldn't venture to guess, but uh, Michelle Yeoh and, um, oh, what's her name? Um, still got a groove back. Um, Angela Bassett? Angela Bassett. Uh, just kicking ass. Uh, it, this is a really fun movie the first half hour i was like this is i thought this was an action movie there's no action uh and then it just like kicks into high gear and eventually it becomes, there will be action in this action yeah. movie yeah, like i mean that's the first like, half hour of john wick too right like it's it's a yeah. slow burn yeah. to get there it, it, it really is a slow burn here and i thought uh oh no uh is this going to be a movie that is like got the trappings of an action movie but doesn't have any actual action uh, but oh my goodness, once the action starts, it really doesn't stop. And uh, this is a movie with, uh, I, th- I think, the main actors. Uh, Karen Gillan uh, is, the, is the lead. Uh, Lena Headley is, uh, excuse me, Hedy is in this. Um, Paul Giamatti's in it. But I, I think the, the women who do a lot of the action, I think are doing a lot of the action. Uh, I think it's... Uh, in a large sense, I'm sure there are stump people that are in it copiously, but uh, certainly it's shot with long, wide-angle tech uh, takes, and I think um, a lot of them are doing their own their own action choreography, and it's it's really well shot. Uh, the sequences that are the most fun. I mean, the movie has a lot of fun. It is. It doesn't take itself super seriously, although I think it has a really cool kind of. Uh, message about it there's an incredible monologue at the end that really sort of sums up the the thesis of the movie that i won't spoil but it it really hit me like a ton of bricks um but the uh the action sequences are really inventive and you you were talking about um jackie chan action sequences you know in the in the rat glue factory (laughs) yep so much of the fun of gunpowder milkshake are the setups for these action sequences that put restrictions on our heroes that, that uh, handicap them in certain interesting ways. And oh my gosh, the creativity that ensues from establishing those rules on the action sequences is super fun. There's a uh, hand-to-hand sequence and a car sequence that are both like, I've never seen it before, really super fun and clever. I mean, the, the, the movie is ultra violent. And the end of the movie, there's this incredible dolly shot in slow motion that I would love to read some sort of description 
of how it was pulled off because it seems really slick and and cool i wonder how many takes they got for it because it's, it's got so many moving pieces in it um i had a blast with gunpowder milkshake i would recommend it and i think i think both of you guys in particular would love it so awesome. i recommend I, it i am planning to check, to check it out uh so yeah. gunpowder milkshake it's on netflix i've heard it's a lot of fun jeff what else have you been watching I also got on this music movie kick after talking last week about um, 321, uh, McCart- McCartney 321, uh, which I really enjoyed. I kind of went searching for more, uh, something else to scratch that itch. And I came upon the documentary about the Bee Gees entitled Bee Gees, How Can You Mend a Broken Heart? Uh, which is, I'm not remembering, I think is on Netflix. I can't remember exactly where I saw it, but um, it's great. It is it is great. Tons of archival footage, great interviews, uh, a real deep dive into the Bee Gees career. And I came out with, a, you know, the Bee Gees are... HBO Max, by the way, HBO Max. HBO Max, thank yep. you. Um, it is uh, my generation. I don't know if this is true for younger people. I don't think there's the stigma on disco for people that were born after me, but certainly my generation, the grunge generation, uh, and I think the, the punk generation before that really hated, you know, we were trained sure, to sure. hate disco. I never hated disco. I grew up with Donna Summer in my house, played at very high volumes. <laughs> uh, and uh, yeah, now you know, people I, are just mining disco for beats, basically. Yeah, so. exactly. Yeah, exactly. But, uh, you know, th- there was this this thing about the Bee Gees where they were they were kind of a bad word on, on the radio and in, you know, in popular culture for a while because disco was labeled. And, and the, the documentary goes into all that. It goes into the rise and fall of disco. And, and really kind of what I found fascinating was the extensive career the Bee Gees have before they ever even dipped their toe into disco, right? They, they kind of helped invent and certainly helped popularize that sound that disco sound that we know that became ubiquitous and, and kind of played out. And then there was a huge backlash against it. But before that, they were these incredible songwriters that were much more about um, love songs and ballads and a more traditional music uh, sound of the late sixties. Um, and you get an appreciation for their immense talent. I mean, these brothers, extraordinary vocalists, extraordinary songwriters, uh, brilliant on a number of levels. And the, level of output they had the number of albums and songs that they wrote um i really wasn't even aware of and and i came out of it uh, with a huge appreciation of that and i don't know i dig i dig these kinds of documentaries that uh have lots of archival footage lots of behind the scenes stuff and really kind of dig deep into the the history of how these sounds changed and how the culture responded to them so i recommend that one as well bg's how can you mend a broken heart and have you guys seen a movie from 1971 called melody Mm. No. no, no. It's directed by a guy named Where's Hussein. You know, who's sort of a journeyman English filmmaker, but it's written by Alan Parker. Um, it, you know, it, it really early on, it stars Mark Lester right after he he, he was an Oliver and a, and a and a child actress named named Tracy Hyde. It's essentially, you know, um, it, it's it's directly the inspiration for Moonrise Kingdom. Um, apparently, Ooh, you know, uh, P. T. Anderson and uh, not. Yeah, uh, watched Wes, it. With, Wes Anderson, uh, I think. Uh, sorry, Wes Anderson, yeah. one of the Anderson yeah. boys. Uh, watched <laughs> it with his assistant and, uh, you know, came up with Moonrise Kingdom. It, it, it's like a straight, pardon me, ripoff of, of Melody. If you've not seen <laughs> it, 
You should. And I bring it up because it, it, it uses a BG soundtrack. You know, it's pre-disco. It's uh, like uh, it, it, it's it's mostly their 1969 album, Odessa, that mm-hmm. they're using in it. Um, but, you know, there's a lot of musical drops, uh, a BG needle drops in it. Um, it, it, it's sort of like a Harold and Maude with, uh, you know, two kids instead of a kid and an older person. But if you've not seen Melody and, and you're kind of hip to uh, the Bee Gees now, I highly recommend giving it a look. Great. Great recommendation. Thank you. Uh, so that's Melody. I can't seem to find it streaming anywhere, <laughs> but it's out there somewhere. Uh, it's and big then, in Japan. Nice. And then uh, <laughs> Bee Gees, How Can You Mend a Broken Heart? It's available right now on HBO Max. Devendra Hardwar, what yes. have you been watching this week? I'll be real quick because I know we're, we're running a little late here, but I've been watching Ted Lasso season two, yes. which uh, continues to be excellent. I will say there, there's a bit of a warning here. I think the first episode of the season, um, the one that's aired so far, is is almost a little grim. It is a little like deep and dark at times, um, and that kind of gets back into the swing of things. But uh, I've been I've been watching ahead a bit. I have some early episodes here. And it gets like it, it is fascinating how the show works and how it always just like handles typical like sitcom issues in a very like high minded, very smart, immature way. So I'll say if you feel down after the first episode, because um, I've heard this from a bunch of people, they thought like maybe the show had lost its touch. Uh, no, that, that, that's absolutely not true. I'm very glad to have Ted Lasso back in our lives. And uh, I have to say, too, like if you've uh, somehow, you know, missed our gushing last year around the show, just have to reiterate, like this show is fantastic. It's about an American football coach who goes to London to coach soccer and he knows absolutely nothing about soccer. And it had so many things working against it last year. uh, I was never big into Jason Sudeikis, um, you know, and also him basically taking a commercial, a character from a commercial and building a whole show around it sounded just super dumb to me. But it won me over quite a bit because he is fantastic. The writing is fantastic. Uh, it's a co-developed by Bill Lawrence, who you know has done Scrubs and a bunch of great TV shows like Cougar Town. So I will watch anything Bill Lawrence does. I think the show has that touch of both uh, sweetness and intelligence and maturity and also can be supremely silly at times. And that is such a delicate balance. So glad to have Ted Lasso back. Check it out, uh, especially if you haven't seen the first season. It is so bingeable and so good. It's Ted Lasso season two. It's on Apple TV Plus. Uh, Jeff, have you have you had a chance to check out season two yet? Oh yes, I'm I'm in it, baby. I'm loving it. I uh, it, yeah, this show is is just a light of sunshine. I love it so much. Just a light of sunshine. Like this, I'm not going to spoil anything here, but I will say this season they this show does something that absolutely should not work. Right. I feel like if any other TV show had touched what this show is doing uh, towards the middle of the season, it would have been pure garbage. And the fact that it ends up being almost a perfect episode of television, like you're watching you're watching a classic before your eyes, you know, form, um, I, I think is astounding. So anyway, keep watching Ted Lasso. Season two is very good. Walter Chaw, are you a Ted Lasso guy? I love Ted Lasso. I love it. I love it yeah. so much. Great, it's just, great. you know, it's adults being accountable. Yes. Um, it's unbelievable. And it's like there's been so little accountability in our culture for so long. You know, uh, just people being decent and apologizing when they screw up. That it, 
you know, I think from season six and the first season on, uh, I've cried in every single episode just for people being mm-hmm. nice to each other and yep, being grownups. It's just, it's, it's extraordinary. Yep. Yeah. And also, if it's you're a fan amazing. of uh, Ray Kent, if you're a fan of Brett Goldstein's Ray Kent, uh, he he is very good in this season. Yeah, it feels like his arc is so interesting oh, in what they're doing. Yeah. Divin your hardware, anything else to be watching? Also, quick shout out to a show I know you have seen, Jeff, but uh, for other folks here and listeners, Garth Marenghi's Dark Place. Yeah. This is a series from the mid 2000s, from 2004. It was, it's a six episode miniseries, right? Uh, it is, it is one of those things that's so short, but has had like a lasting impact, I think, among people who enjoy like weird uh, UK comedy. It stars Richard Ayoade, uh, Matt Berry, Matthew Holness. It's about an 80s, um, what is he, like an 80s horror he's Stephen novelist? Stephen King, basically. Yeah, he's Stephen King, uh, a horror novelist who has uh, written more books than he's read, uh, who in the 80s created a very 80s TV show about his like horror hospital comedy. So it's, it's sort of like, <laughs> it's a parody series. It is very much NTSF, SD, SUV, um, but set <laughs> as an 80s show with these people that I absolutely adore. It is hilarious. It is weird. It's wild. And it's finally streaming for easy access in America. It's on Amazon prime right now. Um, I think I first watched the show in like some sort of like bad, terrible downloaded versions in the mid two thousands. And some episodes were on YouTube for a bit, but they kept getting taken down. So now you can actually watch it. It is better looking than I've ever seen it before. I this is not a show that they did an HD upscale for, but even in it's like crappy low budget quality, it still looks very good. And uh, I love it so much. It is so weird. Um, and I love seeing like, it is, it's 2004 era Matthew Berry, you know, right. And Richard Iowate and they look so young. It's before, like we started seeing them in so many other things. So I love it for that reason. And if you like, uh, if you like parody comedy series, check it out. That's Garth Marenghi's dark place on Amazon prime. Yeah, it'll it'll knock you for a loop. If you yeah. if you like, you know, I know that Devendra said the word weird a bunch of times, but I will say it again. If you like weird, it's weird. Yeah, well, I mean, the the whole concept is that they like uncover these old tapes from the '80s yes. that didn't run, and so the whole show is made to look like it was made in the '80s, and it really is this almost this this investigation of this. Uh, you know, narcissistic uh, Uber rider and his vanity project, right? And uh, it's it's so funny and intentionally bad in places, but it's like peppered with interviews, you know, like office style right. interviews to the it's camera. It's them reflecting back on making the show as you're watching the show, which is hilarious. That's so good. Oh, man. So it, yeah, check it out. I mean, the, I, re- I re- rewatched the first episode just to remind <laughs> myself because I haven't seen it since like 2007. Uh, and just so awesome that it's so accessible now, but mm-hmm. the, there's, <laughs> there's a line from the first episode that I remembered, uh, loving the first time around too. We said, uh, th- that, uh, Garth Marenghi's dark place was the, the greatest television achie- achievement since quantum leap. And I, <laughs> yes, and I don't say yes. that lightly. <laughs> he says, and I don't say that lightly. That's it's Richard Iowate <laughs> being very straight faced. Like this has the potential to change everything. It's amazing. So good. All right, that's what Devinger Hardo's been watching. You know, random other shout out, by the way. I just wanted to say I did not watch this, but do you guys hear about this movie Jolt that's yes. on Prime yes. Video right now? Yes. Yeah. 
I'm going to read the plot summary from, from Jolt. A bouncer with a slightly murderous anger management problem that she controls with the help of an electrode-lined vest she uses to shock herself back to normalcy whenever she gets homicidal. <laughs> After the, the first guy she's ever fallen for is murdered, she goes on a revenge-field rampage to find the killer while the cops pursue her as the chief suspect. Yeah. This is like a reverse crank. Basically, it's a very shocker. That. Yeah, mm-hmm. I almost watched that instead of Gunpowder Milkshake, and, and ended up watching Gunpowder Milkshake <laughs> instead. But I, I was very close to clicking on that to watch Jeff, it. Maybe we could do this as a. I mean, uh, assuming Davinder's not interested, maybe we. Could I, do this I'm as not after- here next week, so this is yeah. all you. Yeah, Jeff, maybe we can do this as After Dark next week. It sounds like a plan. All right. Um, anyway, n- another thing that hit Prime Video this week. Now I hope that it's it. based on the IP of the cola. <laughs> Remember Jolt Cola? No, I'm not old it. enough to remember that. Yeah. I do know that that silence was in response to me remembering it. Um, <laughs> oh, oh, Some, I, thank you. Sometimes I need your silences labeled. Yeah, I appreciate no, that. Yes, I, I know yes. that's why. That's why I did it just now. That's why I did it. Okay. Anyway, let's get to weekly plugs, folks. Weekly plugs are part of the show each week where we plug something we've made or that someone else made that we recommend. Uh, so I've been uh, separate from the Slash Filmcast Patreon, which is at patreon.com slash filmpodcast. I also have a Patreon page uh, for other stuff that I'm doing at patreon.com slash Dave Chen. have a lot of bonus audio and podcasts on there. And this week, my wife and I watched the new Dune trailer, uh, which is, I think, three and a half minutes long. It's half the movie. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, we discussed it in detail. And so that is up on my personal Patreon at patreon.com slash Dave Chen for, I think, all patrons can access that but uh yeah uh i i generally don't watch trailers i have relaxed that rule greatly in the <laughs> covid era because it's like the only thing <laughs> sometimes it might be the only way i have of experiencing that movie for a very yeah, long you, time you just want to feel something you know i just want to feel something i just yeah. want to feel something um so anyway check that out at patreon.com slash dave chen along with a bunch of other cool bonuses Devinder hardware uh what is your weekly plug I wanted to shout out my review of the HTC Vive Pro 2 at Engadget. It is a high-end VR headset that I'm pretty sure nobody's going to buy. Like, this, this thing costs way too much money. It's $1,400 for the entire kit. But for, if you're one of those crazy PC gamers or somebody who just, like, really, really wants the best VR possible, um, this thing, it, it looks incredible. Like, it has a 5K screen. It has a super high refresh rate. Like, I played a bunch of Half-Life Alex in this, and that game Ooh. already looked good on the valve index uh on this thing it was like it felt close to being real and started freaking me out a little so anyway um (laughs) read the review and also check out my video if you want to see me like flailing wildly around my office here at home uh jeff canada do you have an htc 5 pro 2 no dave i don't would i turn one down valve index okay i I do have the index but i would uh i would not turn one down if one was offered to me but i do not have the $1,400. $1,400. I, I can't justify the $1,400. Well, you you the only have to pay $800, Jeff, if you're Oh, because I already have the, yeah, already the, have the lighthouses. Yeah. yeah. My well, now we're talking. <laughs> <laughs> My recommendation, Jeff, wait until after your move is done before you buy that one. Um, Absolutely. Don't want to don't want to package that now up. Now you can have a bit. VR room, Jeff. That would be amazing. Oh, yeah. yeah I, I know that. Yeah. It's called the basement. Uh, <laughs> it's called the shed out. Um, Jeff Kanata, your weekly plug. Uh, I don't talk about it enough, but I do a comedy science podcast uh, with Anthony Carboni called We Have Concerns, and I'm proud of it. Uh, It is an award-winning comedy science podcast. In fact, uh, we've won two awards, uh, 
you wouldn't think it by listening, but we have. Uh, it is uh, <laughs> an irreverent look at, uh, I think, very fun and interesting stories that probably aren't the main page of any website, but we dig a little deeper, go a little further, and uh, lay it all out for you. You can learn something and laugh along the way. It's all about science and philosophy and sociology, stuff like that. But we uh, deliver it with an irreverence and a fun that I think listeners of this show would enjoy. We have concerns. It's at wehaveconcerns.com. Here's my question, Jeff. You said, I'm proud of it. Does that mean if you don't say explicitly I'm proud of it that you're you're in fact not proud of it? That like, is correct. Like say and a I, podcast like the Filmcast. I'm just throwing it out there as an example. Yeah, no, the know? Filmcast is a podcast that I do every week. <laughs> Period. <laughs> the end. And moving on. And moving on. Walter <laughs> Chaw, your weekly plug. Wow, you know, you shouldn't have me go last on these things. I feel so kind of un- unaccomplished compared to you guys. Um, but, um, that, that, is, that is so ridiculous what you're saying right now, especially <laughs> with what your weekly plug is this week. But yes, <laughs> you, continue. You, yeah, come on. Okay, well, I want to do what I, you're I, doing. I, Introduce right your weekly plug and then we will mock you for what you just said. <laughs> well, moving across the country, I, I, um, I do a uh, Saturday morning. Uh, it's not every Saturday, but you know it happens on Saturdays when it happens. A Saturday matinee series for the uh, Denver Public Library. They essentially asked me to, to design something at the beginning of the pandemic and a good friend of mine uh, who worked at the library who since retired, but he said, Hey, let's, let's give this a go. So um, essentially just started out as be monologuing for an hour, which as, as you know, sadly you guys have learned, I can do pretty easily, but I, I kind of <laughs> transitioned that at some point to saying um, nobody wants to hear my voice for an hour, especially not me. So let's bring a guest in. And um, we started bringing, you know, inviting friends and artists that I, who I admire uh, to come on and, they started archiving the shows in October of last year, and they're available now on um, a lot of them are on the Denver Public Library's non-monetized YouTube channel. So uh, you don't feel like you're giving anything weird to anybody uh, by, by watching them. Um, yeah, no money and, to libraries. Uh, that's uh, what I say. You know, <laughs> I think uh, you know Guillermo del Toro uh, came to talk Spirit of the Beehive. That, that's on there. Ryan Johnson came for under. Okay, the skin. Guillermo stopped by. Cool. Cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah no, I, yeah. I understand why you feel so unaccomplished because you have yeah. no names like <laughs> Guillermo del Toro, Edgar Wright, Ryan Johnson, Natasha well, Leone, Patton Oswalt. You know, like basically people that no one gives a crap about. <laughs> it's right? just sort of embarrassing because I'm always the nobody with the famous person. But it, it's you know it, it, it's cool <laughs> that they'll come to support the library. You know, I'm really kind of uh, humbled by how eager they are to uh, do a project like this, as long as it benefits something like. Uh, you know, the library, like a great public work, mm-hmm. like the library. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, we uh, re- really kind of, it's been a lifeline uh, uh, for me, something to look forward to, you know, uh, having good people to talk with about their favorite movies. And, you know, you know, part of the rules of the game for, for the show for me was that I didn't want them to come on and talk about their things. I didn't want this to be a junket for them or whatever. I wanted them to come on and talk about like a movie that they love. You know, uh, Barbara Crampton came and talked about whatever happened to Baby Jane, oh, man. which is awesome, wow. right? And 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 Lee Wannell came and talked about the the thing. So it's like you know, I think that's part of the attraction as well to say not only am I benefiting you know a public library system, a large one, but I'm also um, getting a chance just to talk about movies. Like that's why that's why we all started doing this, right? Because we we love movies, and so you know when they come, they're protected from having to answer questions about you know. <laughs> Quintel Boy Three coming out. You know, we're not talking about that. We're talking about Spirit of the Beehive. So it's uh, that. I, I guess that's it. That that's love what it, I'm loving. Support your is libraries, it? people. I love that you've been doing this, Walter. Um, 
I have to say, like, I did what, what after the Trump election, after 2016, I did a thing at the Brooklyn Public Library for, like, readings of 1984. And that was one of the most fun things I've done over the past few years. So I volunteer people, support your libraries. Is this an in-person event, Walter? I don't know if someone was, let's say, theoretically imminently moving to the Denver area. Would this be something that one could see in person? Well, spoiler alert, they're evolving to in-person uh, in the new year if uh, Delta d- d- doesn't finish us off. Right. Um, but, but uh, you know, they're virtual, and you can join them from anywhere in the world. We have people mm. from Italy and Thailand and stuff joining. Um, and uh, it's, uh, it's really cool. It kind of replicates the community that libraries create. And, uh, you know, in, 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 in the internet space, we had over... I think 500 people for uh, Guillermo del Toro's um, little visit. And we've sold out, quote unquote. You, you have to register for them. There's a limit to uh, the number of people who can join. Um, and uh, we've sold out the last 31 shows in a row. And, um, wow. you know, we try to f- pick films, if possible, from the canopy.com website, which is a streaming service that's funded by public libraries. Uh, that's free. And they have a huge chunk of the Criterion collection. They have a lot of uh, Kino Lorber stuff. It's a really fulsome collection. And, um, you know, it, it it's all good. It's all for good stuff. But say someone was coming to Denver uh, soon. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. In, in, in our Rhino Arts District, I think the idea is that this becomes a physical program with um, online elements uh, in the new year. But I don't know what that looks like. And I'm not sure that I have the stamina. Honestly, I'm, a, I'm an old, <laughs> bitter man. But if it happens, then, um, yeah, it would be amazing to have a new host, maybe. maybe <laughs> wow, wow, you just really ready to hand this yeah, off. I, I mean, that, that's awesome. Yeah. But no, I just want to I just want to come and support. That's awesome. <laughs> that's a, yeah, Jeff wasn't gunning for your job, Walter. He was, he was just trying to see if he could come and show up and support because, um, yes. Um, and I just, I just, I don't know. I have a feeling that it's going to be hard to top the guests that you have. You know what I'm saying? We have a few people that, that, that have committed that I can't really announce yet because mm-hmm. scheduling is whatever. And I think you'll be kind of surprised. Um, but there's, you do, know, do they uh, rhyme uh, with Peven Pielberg or <laughs> Christopher <laughs> Roland? Well, maybe not quite, but <laughs> surprising, you know, but in, yeah. in, you know, in the next few weeks, um, <laughs> Uh, um, Harry McQueen is coming, the guy who just did Supernova. He's coming mm-hmm. to talk about nice. Tokyo Story. Uh, Sarah Benincasa is coming to talk Legally Blonde. R- Richard Kelly is coming with a nice. film. Lucky McKee. Uh, Alex Winter is making a second appearance. Alex Cox is coming to, to talk oh, about wow. Lucky Luciano. Um, and a couple of people I can't can't say yet, but 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 it's it's exciting, you know. I mean, yeah, it, super I, I cool. You know, I have to say, I keep looking for reasons not to do it because I always over prepare for these. You know, I, I spend about 10 hours, 10 to 12 hours before each show researching and watching all the movies and reading books sometimes and, and taking notes. And, you know, I, I over prepare, I think, because I never want to be caught with my pants down. Uh, no one needs to see that. So at, at the <laughs> end of the day, it's like it, it takes a toll on me. Uh, and, and but I, I always. <laughs> You know, but but I do feel like it's 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 an extraordinary privilege to be able to do something like this. So you know, I, I I've been holding on. Um, uh, but yeah, it's a. Uh, you know, that's I, it. That, a, that, that's what I'm pushing, I guess. A, a I know how. You, first of all, that's the Saturday matinee series of the Denver Public Library. We'll link to it in the show notes. Um, uh, I know how you feel, uh, Walter. You know, every time we do one of these podcasts, it takes a lot out of me. 
Um, <laughs> probably not as much as it takes out of you to do that thing, but uh, well, yeah, and, and, know, a, and a, a small percentage of the preparation time. It just seems like you are more fragile, is what I'm saying, Dave. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, for sure. I mean, I, it's you know, uh, it, it takes a piece of my soul to do this podcast every week, sure, and sure. and I think people have but seen it, me. But again, nothing to do with your preparation. Oh yeah, at all. yeah, no, 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 no. It's just talking to you guys. <laughs> yes. Really, that's that's the problem. Um, but also, uh, that was originally one of like the driving forces behind the the film cast was um getting directors on to talk about movies they loved uh i dare say we were one of the first podcasts to do that absolutely um, yeah when when we you know when we still could could attract you know major directors don't, don't want to toot our own horn <laughs> yes here but yeah um <laughs> you know, that was back in the olden days when people when people we were still part of slash film.com and people gave a shit about what we had to say <laughs> Um, but you know, you know, uh, maybe those days will come again. Uh, in the meantime, check in the out meantime, Walter we'll Sears. just, you know, take your thing and make it about us. Yeah, yeah, no, for sure. For sure. <laughs> um, check out Walter's series. Uh, I'm just trying to find some notes of commonality, Jeff. Ah, okay. Uh, well done. No, sorry. Well done. That's good. So, sorry for trying to create some rapport here. Jeff. No, no, it's great. I'm sure all you are successful as am I. Your yes. copious, uh, your copious <laughs> preparation led you up to that very moment. I'm yeah, sure. yeah, no, 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 for sure, for sure. Okay, um, well, those are our weekly plugs. Let's get to our review of old. No kids allowed on the beach. What? That's not true. Oh, oh no! Oh no! We never leave each other. Nothing separates us. Are we there yet? You said five minutes. Technically, it's been more than five minutes. Let's just all start slowing down. Wow. Do you believe I found this online? Well, I guess it's not that secret a beast. Whoa. Who would leave this? From the hotel! They're so rusted! What's happening? Found stuff from the hotel in the sand. That was from the trailer for Old, the new movie by M. Night Shyamalan. I'm going to read the plot summary from IMDb. A family on a tropical holiday discovers that the secluded beach where they are relaxing for a few hours is somehow causing them to age rapidly. Joining us for our review is Walter Chaw from Film Freak Central. Walter, so curious, what did you think of M. Night Shyamalan's Old? I thought that it was beautifully shot. <laughs> I think it's a gorgeous film to look at. I think about. I think that about... I think all of his movies, I think he's a visual savant and I think, Oh man. Yes. You know, yeah. he really had an opportunity at some point to be that guy, that generational filmmaker that we talk about, you know, that, that he always has thought of himself as the new Spielberg or the new Hitchcock in particular, but you know, we, we would have also thought of him as that too, had he let other people write some of his movies. And I think <laughs> that's sort of the same thing that I feel about, you know, old sort of reminds me a little bit of the happening, which is beautifully shot and just really stupid. But, you know, it's it's so good in so many ways that you kind of, I don't know, I have a lot of thoughts. But, you know, there, there's a scene in particular in it. And, and because we're in the non-spoiler section, I, I won't go too deeply into it. But it's so emotionally beautiful. It reminded me of the opening sequence of Up, the Pixar mm-hmm. film. Yep. And it's done so beautifully. It really is. And I can't imagine it being done better. I really can't. I don't know that there's another filmmaker working like that right now, period. But um, there's so much of it that's really irritating to me. And it's irritating the same way that I find most of his movies 
except Unbreakable, except The Sixth Sense, which I think is a real masterpiece. Um, but, you know, the rest of his movies are sort of otherwise on the scale of, boy, this guy's really arrogant, and I wish that he would just let somebody else <laughs> write write the script. Because his, R- write you know, the script the, the way or, or the movie, star in the movie. Amazing. You know? Or start, yeah, be a pivotal character <laughs> oh, in the movie. Yeah. Know, yeah. When, yeah. Is it okay if we spoil some of his other movies? Because, like, you know, and here I am going doing yeah. it without waiting for you to answer. But, like, <laughs> um, la- like, Lady in the Water, he casts himself as the guy who writes the new Bible. Uh, it, that was incredible that? to watch. Yeah. <laughs> he was going to save the world. Well, in that and, movie. And, and, and he, he has a film critic character in it that he has <laughs> eaten by a dog made out of grass. Like, this is, just relax, buddy. You know? <laughs> this reminds me of a line from Garth Marenghi's Dark Place. Yep. Where Garth Marenghi is sitting there with a the little boy, and the little boy is asking him if his father's going to live because Garth Marenghi is a doctor at this hospital. And Garth Marenghi says, uh, I. I, I don't know what I can do for your father. I'm not Jesus Christ. And I've learned to accept that. <laughs> <laughs> and some people haven't. You know? yeah. yeah, some yes, people haven't. I, yeah. I don't think he hasn't. There's a real messianic <laughs> feeling about, about, about Shyamalan. And sure enough, in this film, he plays, you know, he's got a major role in this movie, you know, and he, he does like a major callback to Rear Window in a, a scene that's cribbed directly from Rear Window. And it's like, I get it. People said that you were Hitchcock. You think you're Hitchcock, but none of you actually have watched a lot of Hitchcock. And so, you know, it's like, I understand who you think you are. I kind of wish you were back to that guy who was coming off like a three film humbling and you're making like a little no budget, the visit. And then Mm -hmm. you're making a little no budget split. And then you're making a kind of cool, bigger budget glass. Now you're back to like, I'm M. Night Shyamalan, bitch, and you're this making is, this is still this. pretty low budget too, in comparison it, to it. It, it yeah. still is, it still yeah. is. But but he, he's you know he's again I think made the the bad decision. It's it's for anybody to stop listening to anybody else. Mm-hmm. You know, and, well, and I think at some point yeah, you got to just say like you know I, I love Hitchcock so much because Hitchcock's movies were never about the things that everyone in the movies interested in, like you know the the MacGuffin, right? Shyamalan's movies are the MacGuffin themselves. <laughs> the, 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 everything is leading to the explanation. This is like a David Blaine magic yeah. trick. That's a really astute observation. You know, yeah. all, all that Shyamalan does right now, I think, when, when he really gets his, his dander up, you know, and his mojo working for, for him, all he really does is try to impress you. Like, hey, look <laughs> at this, man. The, the, that dollar bill is in the orange. Cut the orange. It's in there. Like, <laughs> I, you know, dude, I get it. It's, it's really... Girls don't like you more for for doing magic. I, I know that you think it. You know, when I was in junior high school, I memorized all of Monty Python because I thought that was going to get me laid. You know what? Oh man, opposite. <laughs> <laughs> so, so you were the Monty Python guy, and nobody yeah, wanted to touch you. Yeah, uh, yeah, opposite. So <laughs> oh that's my God, it's so who's good. feeling really good, mm-hmm. and and I wish that somebody would just say, you know, I'm not yep. opposite, opposite. You know, but uh, it's brilliant. brilliant. I, I think that is okay. I have I have thoughts on that, but first I'm going to go to Devendra. What did you think about old Devendra? You know, I thought old in many ways demonstrates Shyamalan at his worst. The dialogue is wooden; it beats you over the head narratively, and yeah, he really he just doesn't know when to stop and trust his audience. But you know what, guys, I I liked it. Yeah, I think I think. To what you're alluding to, Walter, is like this is this movie is a great example of his visual storytelling, right? Like 
the words people are saying are are awful and i wish they were better you know i wish he wouldn't always clearly map out what his characters were thinking or the themes of the movie and dialogue but i love the way his camera moves especially during really tense sequences in this movie um there's there's almost like a tiktok cadence to it where it will swing from one crazy thing happening to another and by the time you're back to the other thing like a lot has changed because this is a movie about a beach that accelerates aging. You know, it's, it's crazy. Um, the way he builds up tension for some really grotesque sequences too. Like just there, there are set pieces we're going to talk about in spoilers, which I think are kind of astounding. I think overall I came away from this movie feeling like it was a Junji Ito story made real. You know, I appreciated how weird and gruesome it got. It is nowhere near as like poetic as a Junji Ito story, but I do think it like gets to that idea of the world just being a little off, things getting horrific very quickly. And, you know, there are a lot of ideas that get under your skin. Um, I read your review, Walter. I think you're really like astute there, but I do think there's a lot, there are a lot of things going on in this movie that could have maybe been focused on more. Um, This feels like a movie made, from a guy who's in middle age and is like probably wrestling with a lot of like existential crises at once. Right. Your children are growing up too fast. They were, you turn around and right. They were once babies and now they're grownups. His, uh, his daughters are now helping him on servant, the Apple TV plus show. He, he uh, executive produces Um, this movie is like a reflection on your mortality and how quickly your life can fade away right in front of your eyes and also those fears of like, uh, will will my marriage last until old age? I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen. Um, this beach, this movie kind of forces you to deal with all those ideas all at once. But yeah, for sure, it would have been 10 times, probably 100 times better if it just ended five minutes earlier, right? <laughs> like he keeps he keeps doing this thing where he has to explain everything. And I could sort of deal with it in the village because I do feel like some of that explanation was maybe necessary. But even then, like, you, you don't have to spell everything out and you don't have to be the architect of spelling it all out too. Like you don't have to put yourself in the middle of it. You don't have to go so like so convoluted to explain everything. Um, audiences aren't entirely dumb. I think audiences, if you end something in a poetic way where you don't explain everything or you just let certain moments linger, there, there's a point where people are building a sandcastle in this movie and I would have been perfectly happy if it ended right there, you know? So, yeah. All right, Jeff Kanata, your thoughts on old? Well, Dave, I guess you could say my thoughts on old are best summed up in the form of a limerick. I love how M. Night's films unfold, but the message here is not really bold. Ask anyone alive over 35, they'll tell you it sucks getting old. (laughs) (laughs) But what if you got old really quickly? Really quickly. You do get old really quickly, Devendra. (laughs) Yeah, and your kids age way too quickly. God. So I I agree with a lot of of what Walter said, um, and I think he said it very eloquently. Um, I... I think this movie is really interesting. I think I agree that it is shot really beautifully. There's a wonderful economy here because it, it... He... The last several films, it really feels like M. Night is showing what is possible yep. with very little. And you he know, has like, something to prove, right? This movie, this movie this movie, could have been a $100 million special effects extravaganza 
uh, showing mm-hmm. people aged before your eyes. But he pulls off a very, uh, a very complicated and potentially expensive effect almost completely in your imagination, right? Mm-hmm. It is, mm-hmm. it, and he does, he also does a lot of stuff in this movie with what is not shown by the camera, with what is left to your imagination. There are shots where we are just watching characters react to things and we get to imagine what they're seeing. Uh, and it is extremely effective. It is uh, haunting and it is edge of your seat material. I mean, he does know how to create suspense and tension but I kept waiting for the movie to be about something. And as Walter said, it becomes about the explanation mm-hmm. instead of mm-hmm. being a metaphor for something. It is not a metaphor for something. It is the thing. And I think that's so, so well said that it, it doesn't just stepping us through this process of, yeah, it's, it's horrible getting old. It, it sucks. It sucks, right? But yep. that's the extent of the message here, right? That's that that is the sum total of what is being conveyed. Rather than there being, I kept waiting for the movie to like coalesce a, around some theme or make mm-hmm. the whole process meaningful in some way or 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 resonate in some way. And it only resonates in the sense that we all understand that the passage of time is. Is, is horrible and uh, you know we can't fight it it's mm-hmm. it's impossible to uh, stop so but th- but these are themes that are almost in everything you know there's there, not- there, there some ideas jeff that i would what well, we should bring up in spoilers okay but there there is a sense of like man these fights you have you know maybe with your spouse and with your family at the at the end of the day right when you're all like looking at death coming very close to you like how little some of those things matter i think there's some yeah. beautiful elements like that and that that I think that may be the scene you're alluding to, Walter. Um, yeah. But yeah, I wish more so, of the movie had that. Yeah. Yeah, but you know, sort of to your larger point um, too, though, is that that that's great, but they actually say it. Yeah. They, yeah. It, it's yeah. like it, it, it's narrated almost. Yeah. You, you know, and and it's like don't do that. And, and you know, this is the worst kind of film criticism, right? What, what I'm about to do, but imagine what it would be like if this were written by Charlie Kaufman or, you know, someone who really kind of understands these existential issues on, on a, on a biological level, right? What if someone with, you know, subtlety had written this film mm-hmm. married with all of these extraordinary visuals, um, masterpiece, uh, really masterpiece. And, you know, I'm not saying that I didn't like the film. It's, you know, that like and dislike is difficult for me to parse sometimes, you know, because this film is, it's fun. You know, it's, it's, it's one of those films that it's, I'm just glad there's nobody in spandex in this film. You know, it I, is I'm a glad. comic book adaptation, Walter. So uh, it, uh, it is. It is. It is. <laughs> it is yet that you're right. Excuse you're right. me, but graphic novel. Graphic you're novel right, is uh, a technical yeah. term. Well, you but... know, just like a history of violence, right? I mean, the, the, you <laughs> get some good stuff here, um, and 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 I, I'm, I'm grateful for something that doesn't seem, you know, like the same. But you know, when you talk about not showing everything, you talk. He's a master of this. But we were also doing this with Val Luton. Right, we you know the the, the stuff is like you know Val was making these amazing movies from the forties, very low budget. He just had a title and a premise, and he came up with the stuff. But what he came up with are all of these like explorations of Baltic myths, and he was 
uh, um, adapting Jane Eyre, you know, as a zombie movie in the Caribbean with, you know, these colonial aspects. What is Shyamalan doing? You know, to, 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 to Jeff's great point, there's, it's not really about anything. It's just sort of to get you to point A to point B. Here's mm-hmm. the prestige. Voila. There's not really actually, and if there are those things that are in here, it's because Gail Garcia Bernal is amazing. Vicky yes. Cripps is amazing. The kids you know, are good. I like amazing. the kids. The kids are yeah. great. You know, uh, you know, and we're we're about to see the young lady uh, Thomason. Um, you know, she, she she's in Edgar Wright's new movie last night in Soho as well. She's going to be huge. There's something really uh, otherworldly about her, you know. But if but when Shyamalan just says my movie is a machine, um, it's mm-hmm. a puzzle that's going to make that 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 will drive to a conclusion. What he invites is all of the questions that he doesn't want you to ask. Whereas you know you get somebody that's actually Hitchcock, you know, not not Shyamalan thinking he's Hitchcock, is that you you watch Hitchcock's movies and none of it makes sense, but you don't really realize that till it's over. <laughs> When you're watching well, old, you begin yeah, to realize yeah. it as it's going because uh, uh, he's forcing you to look at the mechanics of it. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to push back on this a little bit, Walter, and say, first of all, I think I'm in line with with uh, your, your viewpoints overall. I think that, yeah, in terms of craft it's uh, and the visuals, it's really well made. Uh, it is closest to me in tone to The Happening, which is widely regarded as like a really bad and, and or cheesy movie. And... I actually think the performances slash dialogue is very bizarre. Like it feels intentionally bizarre. Yeah. People are like kind of just stating things in a very stilted way. Like, Hey guys, I think the beach is making us old. You know, like it's, it's really like, Everyone well, but, talks in like these yeah. declarative sentences for the entire movie, but married uh, with married with the way it's shot. It felt to me like it, I don't know, maybe I'm giving him too much credit, but it felt to me like intentionally almost this dreamlike, surreal, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, you know, yeah. like almost like a Bertolt Brecht, you know, <laughs> is stepping outside the film and commenting on it. You know, it, it's, I don't that, know, but maybe that, I'm just giving him too much credit. With the fact, that combined with the fact that because it's a low budget old movie, um, people are, uh, they're not aging in, in real time, right? Like, you know, people will go off and have a little mini adventure and then they come back and it's like, wow, the kids are like X years older. You know, I you're feel not like this really is spoiler territory, Dave. Yeah. But... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, okay. Okay. All yeah. right. That's fine. Yeah. Um, I, I, I mean, definitely think we should talk about that. I just think maybe it's, yeah, yeah. I, I guess I, I didn't feel like it was anything that wasn't already revealed in the trailer personally, mm-hmm. but, uh, I understand. Uh, anyway, I think that the tone is very off kilter. I do think that, uh, the ideas it raises as Walter brought up are really beautiful and lovely and thought provoking, but that ultimately, uh, as you guys indicated, like it's not really about anything. Like the reveal is not about anything, and we can talk more about that in spoilers. So, yep. I really liked it. Uh, and the, the one thing I'll say: Walter, Wait, you really that, liked it? Yeah, I really I liked after it. all that. <laughs> Here's the thing: nobody. I'm the one is, who liked it. I was, what? <laughs> nobody is taking swings like this. Like this That's is a true. yes. This yes. is a thing that I guess it's it's based on a graphic novel, but like, yep. you yep. know, it's, it's not a graphic novel that a lot of people know about. And also I believe he self-financed this. For He's been doing 18, that for all his movies, right? right yes, for around Hollywood. $18 million. Mm-hmm. And it's like, whether or not you like the execution, the dude is, he wants to show us something we've never seen before. Mm-hmm. And he is extremely earnest and he's willing to put his money where his mouth is. Mm-hmm. And I ultimately, cannot help but admire that regardless yep. of how clunky some of the execution is so i, I totally admire yeah. that by the way and i do also want to say like hey i grew up 
I grew up in the you know, Hartford, Connecticut, right? <laughs> Watching movies in the theater. What other Indian American filmmakers are there? Right. In the 90s, yeah. in the 2000s, this guy was God to me. Okay. Like he, I watched Unbreakable in the theaters. That was like the year before college. I was like 2000. And I was like, this, this guy is taking comic books seriously. He is treating genre, you know, with, with a maturity that nobody else really is. And then to see him fall from grace was really, really, really sad. And it hurt me personally. But, Let me just say, he broke my heart several times, guys. <laughs> I watched and The Last your heart Airbender. Was unbreakable. Yeah, it was. It would, turns out it was made of glass. Um, <laughs> I watched The Last Airbender. It was Split. my first uh, press screening in New York. That's where I met Max Avery and a whole bunch of folks. The very next day, I had to interview Shyamalan. In I remember. I remember yeah, this whole thing. Yeah. And I did a thing. I did video. He he fondled my iPhone 4 because he thought it was really cool. He's a really nice guy. But even then, like I brought up the issues of like, so why why is the Water Tribe white? Why is <laughs> why is Ang a white kid? Like what is, what is going on here? And his answers were like such. It was like really it was like horseshit of like somebody not really thinking about the impact of what he's making and you know the power of the actual show too. So hey, he's broken my heart several times and then he got me back with split and then he broke it again with glass. So you know, it's it's back and forth with me and him. Understood. Well, uh, and, and but I'll I'll say this about Shyamalan mm-hmm. too, is that he's capable, right? We we you know, I, I mean yeah. if I mean emotionally, the things that he doesn't do in old, he did in the sixth sense, which is about a marriage that's disintegrating which is about mm-hmm. a mother's fear for her child, which is about a mentor relationship between a child and a father, which is an exploration of grief, which is an exploration of trauma. It's all of those things. The twist in The Sixth Sense, it's super cool, but The Sixth Sense is about everything else. You know, The Sixth Sense is really about that scene in the car where Tony Collette has this amazing moment where he talks, she talks about how proud she is of her son, who's not doing very well. That's amazing, and that makes, gives me shivers thinking about this filmmaker right? Unbreakable is not about him being a superhero. It's about the son. It's mm-hmm. about the disintegrating marriage. It's about, you know, the, the way parents fear for their kids. It's about those things. He's interested in these things. And at a certain point, he's just sort of like, he, it's almost like, our, you know, like a Dario Argento or something. Like at a certain point, you're sort of making imitations of your old films without actually understanding what the old films were good at. Mm-hmm. So he's like, the reason I'm popular is because I blew people's minds. Like, no, no. I think I, I mean, think a bit of like George Lucas there too. Like I, I always yeah. find that similar. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, totally. And I think at a certain point you really you, you, you become really addicted to success and praise. And so you you try to mine your old stuff for the new stuff. And you know, old is like it's trying to do all the thematic stuff that the sixth sense does. It's trying to do all the environmental stuff that the happening does. It's trying to do the stuff that he's done before to varying levels of success. And I, I don't think he actually understands to Devendra, your really eloquent point. He doesn't understand how important he is. Mm-hmm. He, understand, he doesn't understand how, 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 how absolutely, absolutely groundbreaking and, and, and epic shattering he is. Um, because he's trying to do something else now. Yeah. And he, he, he thinks he's great on else. another level than he actually That's right. is. Yeah. That's right. I, I definitely had the thought as I was watching Old that it, it felt to me, I don't know how accurate this is, but I had the sense that he is working really fast and that the script could have used a few more revisions. You know, it feels like he's just moving at a, at a pace mm-hmm. that it, it isn't backward looking, isn't, you know, is, he's not revising the script. He's not, he's just sort of 
getting this output out. Yeah, at a it's very a machine. It's like almost well, yeah. algor- well, algorithmically driven. In I, a way. I don't. I, I, I don't know about that. I mean, to to hear him talk about making this film, it sounds extraordinarily stressful. First of mm-hmm. all, I believe a significant part of it was shot during COVID. Yes. Um. Yeah. So there's that. Like making anything at all, let alone a movie of this scale during COVID, is extremely difficult. And then, yeah. um. And because they're on a beach that's like a very unpredictable environment, apparently they had to shoot all the morning parts of the beach, like during the, like they had to shoot all the scenes that take place during the morning, during the mornings, and then the ones that take place during the afternoon, during the afternoons, and then the ones that take place at night during the night. So, like, they they were shooting like three different, you know, Mm -hmm. time frames of the movie every day because they couldn't waste any days. So, it's if there's any kind of momentum that they couldn't let 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 down um, or let go of, it's probably because it was probably extremely stressful to make this movie, and it's like we can't like deviate from the script no matter how many problems it has. I don't know. I'm only speculating. It so, sounds like Dave, what yeah. you're saying is, at the end of the day, it's impressive that M Night Shyamalan made a movie at all. I agree completely with what you said. But why don't we get into spoilers for Old starting right now? Now you're looking for the secret. Can I see this coming? No, but you won't find it because, of course, you're not going to see this coming. You're not really looking. I have been puzzling over how it works. You don't really want to work it out. Who's in the box? I have been dying to tell you. I want to tell you my secret. You want to be fooled. So I think the fundamental problem that you guys have captured with our discussion of this movie is there is nothing in the ending of this film, the big Mm -hmm. reveal that is thematically tied in with getting old. Right. Right. Like that is the problem. I think the reveal is, you know, we're spoiling old now, right? The reveal is, Hey, these pharmaceutical company or whatever the hell found this (laughs) beach that makes you older. And they're running tests on people because they can age people like 50 years in 24 hours. It it also seems weird, like weirdly irresponsible to even have that plot point right now when people are already scared (laughs) of like taking the the goddamn vaccine that will save us all. It's very true. It's very true. Um, well, so, I love that point. That's such a good mm-hmm. point um, yeah. because it, it also highlights and forces you to examine the places where Shyamalan is really weak. Mm-hmm. You know, to have a trophy wife that is so obsessed with her looks and and doing those things and have her like uh, like suffer the most grotesque uh, uh, fate of anyone there is deeply, I think, in my mind anyway, problematic. Mm-hmm. To have you know mid sized sedan. The, the rapper and, you know, the, 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 the woman in the beginning stripping down naked and jumping in the water. You know, the, there's, the, there's a lot of stuff here that, that made me feel like, boy, I, I, I hope he's ready to deal with this. Yeah. You know, and, yeah. and, 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 and I don't know, yeah. you know. He wasn't, you know, to your point, Dave, whatever it was. And I, 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 I you know, whether it was like time or whatever, but I, I, I get it, and I and, and I throw a lot at his feet for for trying it. I felt the same way about the the uh, two Matrix sequels. Mm-hmm. It's like, boy, I'm not sure this, this works completely, but my God, you went for it. God bless right. you. I, you know, I, thank you for doing it. But you have the chance. I, I yeah. wish he. I wish he. Like, I wish I had more trust in him as a filmmaker. Where I'm yeah. like, okay, yeah. here's a rapper. Uh, mid-sized sedan, which like great name. you can't even you can't even. Well, that, even that, the that name feels like feels, a first draft of a name to me. It just, yeah, like, it feels like weirdly disrespectful of the way yep. rappers actually name themselves. Too, right, right, right. Like it's, yeah. he's joking about the idea of how they name themselves. Yes, yeah. exactly. Well, and, 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 and I'm and, like, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, go ahead. No, go ahead, I, I, I'm so sorry. I was just gonna say to, to your point, David, about you know this being like a first draft thing. It's like you know on, on their way to the beach, 
all the dialogue is like, I can't wait to hear what you sound like when you get older. And, <laughs> yeah, yeah. You're always looking forwards. Moment. You're always yeah. looking backwards. <laughs> you, you're never living in the moment. Uh, uh, we made a deal to, 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 to value our time. This is a good time. If you were making a parody of this, that's what you would do. That's the joke of it. Right. Uh-huh. And, and it, it almost seems like these are like the, 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 the little colored post-it notes that he's putting in there saying, have them talk about time, have them talk about growing older, have them talk, you know, mm-hmm. and he never goes back and like puts dialogue in. Yeah. Yeah. He has the, he has the whiteboard from a quiet place. Like, time? <laughs> question Sound, mark? Question mark. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So uh, there is nothing that like, when I get to the pharmaceutical ending, I'm like, oh yeah, that's why it's a beach about right. getting, it's just like, oh, it's a magic trick. It's like, hey, here's a, here's a fun twist ending. And it's like, it's not even a twist. It's not, it's a, not twist. a twist. It's, it's not just a twist. an explanation. It's just, yes. yeah, it's, it's an explanation. It, yeah. Go ahead, Jeff. And, and I, I am, I respect the explan. I respect the desire for an explanation, right? Mm-hmm, I, mm-hmm. I agree with you, Devinger, in a sense that there's a poetic version of sort of not letting, just letting it be a thing yeah. that is. And I, I think that's what happens in the graphic novel too. So yeah, yeah, but I, I mean, I, I, I appreciate that it wasn't lost, right? Because the movie could have been lost, right? The TV show. Uh, uh, don't start this argument, Jeff. Okay. <laughs> But if, if this movie had given me a fulfilling ending for characters <laughs> I loved, that that's another story. Okay. <laughs> okay. I, I shouldn't have <laughs> invoked that name, but I did get vibes of that. But yeah, yeah. So I I respect the sense that there is an explanation, but the ex the the last 10, 15 minutes of the movie in which we receive the explanation mm-hmm. does not change our experience of the previous, you know. 50 uh, hour and 20 or whatever it is. Right. Yeah. It, right, it, yeah. it, it does not, it does not, there's no additive value f- of the explanation. Like I like that there yeah. is an explanation that is satisfying on some level, but this explanation isn't revelatory and it, it certainly isn't a twist. It just, mm-hmm. it just is a like, Oh, and also that was happening. You know, well, it, it, yeah. it sort of feels like it's on the wrong side of history too. You know, yeah. it, 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 yes. it, it kind of re- reminds me of the ending of Promising Young Woman. It's like you spend the whole movie threatening women with sexual wait, assault. Uh, let's not spoil Promising Young Woman yeah. right now, unless you are going like let's warn people if you're going to do that. Yes. Yeah. Oh yeah, I'm going to spoil the plot of. Okay, Promising so Young Woman. if you have not seen Promising Young Woman and you don't want to be spoiled, skip <laughs> forward by two minutes. Um, but yes, spoilers yeah, for Promising say, Young like, Woman. Okay, go ahead. Older. You can't make that movie about the cops saving everybody. Just like you can't make this movie about the pharmaceutical industry actually coming up with a couple breakthroughs yeah. because of what they're doing here. You're on the wrong side of freaking history, dude. And, and it's like, it's not well considered. It's like, if you're going to make the the pharmaceutical industry the bogeyman of this movie, yes, please, absolutely. You are dead on right. There's mm-hmm. something wrong with that, right? You, you, you're commodifying people's lives. I get it. I like that. But... Hey guys, we solved epilepsy. <laughs> that, that's that's very problematic to me. Mm-hmm. Yep. You know, because yeah. at, at the end of it, the twist is actually well, the cops are, are are good in this movie as well. The the twist is actually the cops have now uh, interrupted the distribution of an epilepsy cure. <laughs> yeah, it's true. So, yeah. so I mean, you got to think it through because he he's he's if the movie is only the sort of you know. A, a machine to get to the conclusion. The conclusion cannot be, you know, allowing us to have this conversation. Right. It can't right. be like, wait the, a minute. The villain can't be doing something that's good for millions of people. 
Well, yeah. but also right. the movie exactly. isn't about these people right. dealing with yeah. their maladies, yes. yeah. right? The, the movie doesn't even care about their maladies until the very end. We, yes, we have that very powerful scene where her tumor gets large, but and, and there's this sort of vague reference to everybody having some problem, mm-hmm. but it seems like it's just peppered in to yeah. source the ending. It, it's not actually it's a little, about it, that. It's like Split in the way that he kind of mined... Um, multiple personality disorder i guess to to have that to have that plot to have that movie mo- work the way it right. does right the the, the 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 sort of illnesses were mm-hmm. plot mechanics they yeah. weren't like meaningfully explored in any way like yeah. how does yes. having epilepsy like shape this person as a character you know it's just well, it's if, just it, a thing to get you to the final plot point yeah it, yeah if if the if there had been some sort of thematic tie in of these particular people are even more uh, upset about their lives being accelerated because they knew the end was coming right. for them sooner. Yes. Mm-hmm. yes. That at least now you've got oh my god how how doubly horrible. Now I'm considering the the sense of of how they're going through their lives and how every second is precious to them because they know they have, you know, these these this death sentence, these these things inside them that are uh, a ticking clock to their own doom. And, and then, oh, we can relate that to everybody, right? We all have a ticking clock. We just don't, you know, we don't have a palpable sense of what it is. And now you're talking about something, you know, the, the, it, it really is a movie just about how growing old sucks. Mm-hmm. And it just seems so pat in that way. Yeah. Well, and, yeah. And, and, and it seems particularly pointedly cruel to its women characters. And, you know, I, I don't want to keep pounding on this, but, you know, you, you, you see this, you know the the woman with epilepsy really, really suffers. Mm-hmm. The the uh, wife, you know, she uh, forgive me, I forget her name, Ab- Ab- Abby. Uh, she she also like suffered this way in Lovecraft Country. You know, it, it's it's about this sort of like mortification of them. Um, the uh, the uh, little girl gets pregnant and loses the baby, and then she falls from a cliff, like Black mm-hmm. Widow falls from. You know, th- th- there's a real sort of like um, close attention to that and, and and i feel like gail gets to die peacefully you know the son survives there is rufus sewell's character you know but he gets sort of a <laughs> last crusade ending or whatever you know but, but there's like you know the, the you know even the vicky Krebs character has uh, undergoes like surgery right in a really graphic moment it's like there's you, you, if you if you're not going to be about something then you become about the things that we bring to it Mm-hmm. Right. Good point. It, it, you know, if you become a, if you are a blank slate to this degree, and you're activating us, you're saying, is this about growing old? Is this about disease? Is this about our, our children and our fears for our children? It's like it's only about those things because everything's about those things. It, it, you know, it, 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 and we're here now, say, you know, on 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 this very fine podcast, saying, <laughs> look, um, let's not get crazy. <laughs> it's not about this. It's not about those things, really. These mm-hmm. actors bring it to it because they get what it should be about. What the film is actually about is it's a defense of police and it's a defense and apologia for the pharmaceutical in- industry. And it's beautifully shot. <laughs> <laughs> and I can't believe is you made it, it during a pandemic. I, 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 I agree with you that the pharmaceutical part is problematic, but I guess I feel like ultimately the movie comes out against the pharmaceutical company, like mm-hmm. it, it, you are meant to rejoice that they have been taken down. Right. Like in my opinion. So it's, like, it's very confusing. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 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 I, because I, I, I do agree with you, Walter, like they, they are mainly like, yeah, not great organizations, but 
Sometimes they create things that right. could actually they, they, help they have people. created yeah. something meaningfully good. It's just the means to which they do it is bad. So mm-hmm. ultimately, it is against <laughs> pharmaceutical companies, not as a concept, but them being dicks or them like mm-hmm. being unsavory in their methods, which we know many of them already are. Um, so I, I actually don't think it's like pro-pharmaceutical company, but I agree with you, it's mixed in its ending. Now, I have a few assorted observations. Number one, I just want to give a shout out to that scene again that you said was very beautiful. That scene on the mm-hmm. beach where mm-hmm. Gael Garcia Bernal and Vicky Krebs are like dying, basically. And I just thought that was a really, really beautiful scene because it's like when you, if you are married a long time and you get to the end of your life with someone, like all the other bullshit fades away. I have been told. You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> and I think that I think that that scene was just like a lovely demonstration of that. Like you basically grow old, and you you your your body starts like failing, you know, along with someone else's. And there's something very beautiful about the way this movie captured that. So I wanted to give a shout out to that. Another thing I thought thought was very resonant was there's a line that the kids say about like how like oh we'll never have we, we've been robbed of so mm-hmm. many things, you know, like. I don't remember what they never said, have a like, prom, right? Proms yeah. and stuff like that. And it's like, it really felt like a COVID reference, right? Like mm-hmm. it felt like mm-hmm. it's commenting on how like children of today have, have had so much taken away from them because of COVID and, and not, not, not only COVID, but like how we've handled it. Um, but it's just, it's nothing more than like a passing reference. The movie's not about that in any meaningful way, in my opinion, but I did think it was like, Oh yeah, that is. Yeah. That is something like kids have been expected to grow up really fast in mm-hmm. our society, and I and I did appreciate that. There are a lot of like passing ideas that yes. Hey, I, yes. I don't think I don't think everything needs to be like a thesis on a single idea, right? Like yes. I, especially a movie yes. like this. Like I, I think people can just throw out those things that can linger with you. And I think things did linger with me right. during this, exactly. and also some of those set pieces. That tumor operation sequence is like, oh man, like really getting. Pretty, pretty freaky. And also the concept of like, it's healing too quickly. Yeah. The you have to too quickly, keep it yeah. teared open. Yeah. Yeah. Um, or, or yeah. Yeah. I agree. All that stuff is terrifying. That said, we, I think we can all agree though, that the ending of this movie, like the last five minutes was pretty mm-hmm. terrible. Like, yeah, d- they just explained way too, like he wanted you to feel like you had everything tied up in a nice, neat bow. I do appreciate the boldness of the ending. Like basically mm-hmm these characters have lost everything. Like not yeah. only are their parents dead and died like fairly horribly, yeah. but 80% like they, of their lives are gone. Yeah, basically. exactly. Like most of their lives are gone. And that's just a really bold place to end a movie on. And I appreciate that. But then yeah. it just felt so overexplained. Like what was that? Like he needed yeah. you to understand, <laughs> Hey, they got out, the police got to the pharmaceutical, they're shutting it all down. Blah, and these yeah. guys get off the island. And it's like, uh, bad guys I don't were think punished. We they're going to jail. Right. Yeah. I don't think we needed all of that. Like, I understand yeah. where that impulse comes from, but I just didn't think we needed mm-hmm. all of that. And so, I, I, I think the, I thought the last five minutes were like pretty disastrous. Mm-hmm. Overall. Can we yeah. talk yeah. a little bit about the pure mechanisms by which the aging was communicated mm-hmm. to the audience? Because I found all of that at a certain point, I felt, well, this must be purposefully weird. Obtuse. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. Because, yeah. because, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of verbalization of, of the, like we're given a, an explicit reasoning as to why hair isn't grayed, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. which I respect. Like, that's cool. Yeah. Okay, yep. I'm into that. Like, how cool is it that, like, they don't, we're not, gray hair is such an easy shorthand for aging. We're not going there with this movie. I thought, like, that was, that's kind of an interesting choice. Um, but it felt like the, the, at some point I was like, this movie's going to explain that, like, 
everybody's aging at a different rate, right? This right. Is, because right. there's no <laughs> universe in which everybody's aging the same rate. Well, you know, yeah. I think the the idea that kids change very quickly, and as, I, as parents, I agree. you see that. Yeah. No, but so the kids. But yeah. The idea. Yeah. The idea of the movie is that they're all aging linearly very quickly. Yes. And yeah. You just and, notice it in adults less. Yes. Right. But I it's guess just, exactly. it's, it's implausibly less in the movie. Right. right? Like, it is implausibly less. Yeah. And it 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 almost goes like, well, he he's working with a very limited budget and yes. and kind of trying to pull off a lot with a little, and I respect mm-hmm. that. But at a certain point, like even the kids weren't aging fast enough. Yeah. Yes, you know? Yes. Like I having agree. only three different actors play those kids felt like not enough steps. Agreed. You know? Agreed. And you don't like you would theoretically see them physically mm-hmm. grow up. Like yeah. you would see them change bodily in front of your eye, you know. Right. Uh, and you do see that a little bit, like with the girl that gets pregnant and stuff, but mm-hmm. like I, I agree. So Jeff, that combined with like the off kilter dialogue and performances. Right. And the way uh, and, it's you know, shot. Yeah, and the way it shot it just made it feel very weird. And yes, is it on purpose or is it just because it's like relatively low budget? I, I mean, don't I know. think like th- this is a guy who's always always kind of loved the like B movies. I think back to that scene in Signs of Joaquin Phoenix talking to the general, right? And that dialogue is just straight out of like a B grade science fiction movie from the fifties or sixties. Like it's, it's very quick patter. It's very like. It's very stylized in a way. I do think like a part of him is always trying to do something like that, but he doesn't he doesn't quite know how to balance it with organic dialogue or organic um, storytelling outside of his visuals sometimes. All right, folks. Well, Mm -hmm. I think we should wrap it up there. Uh, Can can I highlight just one more thing? The 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 um, supermodel mom who I agree was treated incredibly unfairly. That whole sequence, though was horrific yeah like the idea that your bones are breaking and instantly setting and yeah you well, you you just become a very strange thing by the time you get to the end yeah well one of, one of the things that i thought was was kind of cool about the movie is is how much of aging is mitigated by our just brute forcing technology you know mm-hmm. like eyesight loss, hearing loss, calcium deficient bones, all these things that if you're on an island <laughs> then you don't have access to all those things become a huge deal when in life you get glasses, you get hearing aid, you get yeah, you yeah. drink calcium, you know, all those things are, are sort of mitigated over time. I thought that was a I thought that was an interesting perspective that was introduced. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and on on the note that Devinder brought up, I think the uh, the idea of the body's healing properties being turned against the body yep. is obviously yep. something we're also dealing with right now with covid right like and yeah. and the idea of like actually healing too quickly is a bad thing sometimes right and if you can't control it it can be really unpleasant so yeah i, I that, think overall that scene, mm-hmm. yeah, go ahead. i'm sorry yeah, yeah go no, ahead, I, was, Walter. I was gonna say that that scene really reminded me of that scene in unbreakable when uh, mr glass is looking down the subway stairwell yes yeah um yeah. and you know you, you know he's got this such a command of these elements, you know, and, and, and I think it's a shame that he doesn't just um, do that movie. Mm-hmm, <laughs> he, mm-hmm. I, you know, I, I don't know how to express it better. It's like he's, when he does the B movie elements, when he does the, 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 you know, callbacks or, or you know, what, what have you in his other movies, it never feels like genuine love to me. It feels mm-hmm. like it's, arrogant it feels like it's almost intellectualized in a way that 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 he wants sort of like a nerd cred but really he thinks he's fellini 
And it's like there's <laughs> there, there's nothing wrong with being Fellini, but I wish he'd pick a lane. Like, mm-hmm. you know, and and, 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 it, and I don't mean that by saying I wish he would just make one kind of movie. I don't like the I like that he's doing all these different things. I like that I like the tonal shifts. I like things that are I like experimental films, guys. You know, I'm not saying that he can only make one kind of movie. I'm just saying that, you know, he should just kind of let himself like what he likes. I, I don't want him to try to impress me anymore. Mm-hmm. I, I don't want that. I, I'm not I, I don't know if he can't. Like that's the thing. Right. Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, he, 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 he wants the wrong kind of adulation, mm-hmm. you know, but, it, you know, because after The Sixth Sense, I really think he, I really, really think that he misunderstood why that movie is one of the great movies of the 1990s. I, I don't, I don't know that, I don't know that he understands why it made so much money. Mm-hmm. It, it isn't because of the twist. Yep. I wonder if he, his mind just works in that way or if he sort of self-imposes these endings yeah. on his movies you know I, I wonder if he feels this this expectation uh mm-hmm. for a mo- movie with his name on it yeah he's yep. like frankie valley in the last years of his life you know so everybody <laughs> wants to hear that one song he's like man i've had 10 records since that song so it's like you know oh a- 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 anyway last thing i'll say is it's the the movie is the missouri breaks the one with Jack Nicholson and Marlon Brando in it. Yeah. <laughs> it's by Arthur Penn. It's from 1976. It's great. It was written by, you know, Thomas McGuane. Randy Quaid's in it. Harry Dean Stanton's in it. It's a great movie. It's driving me freaking crazy that of all the things that he answers in that movie, he doesn't answer that. So here it is. It's the, it's <laughs> well the Missouri Breaks. It's an interesting Western. You should give it a look. All right. Well, I think that's going to wrap us up. It's a movie that a lot of us found things to like about it and we all found things that were maddening about it as well. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but that's old. I, I will say, I really enjoyed watching it with the crowd too. That's old, yes. but this is a great, like seeing it in a midnight crowd, basically. Yeah, people had a ton of fun with all the reveals. Yeah. All right. You can find more episodes of this podcast at thefilmcast.com. Email us for now at slashfilmcast at gmail.com. Our theme song comes from adamwarrock.bandcamp.com. Our spoiler bumper comes from YouTuber and filmmaker Kyle Corwith. This episode was edited by Beatty Zhang. Stick around to hear what we'll be talking about next week. In the meantime, I just want to thank Walter Chaw again for joining us from Film Freak Central. Walter, thank you. thanks a lot, man. This is really a delight. Hey, I'm so honored that you guys asked me on. Thank you so much. Next week, we'll be reviewing... Jungle Cruise, new movie that's going to be out on Premiere Access on Disney+. Plus. Uh, So look forward to that. Um, And uh, yeah, that should be... Not based on a comic book, Dave. I think it's based on a ride, is my understanding. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not a a comic book. Problematic history, which we'll we'll find out out what the movie does to erase uh, or redo. Uh, But that's going to be next week here on The Filmcast. Thanks so much for listening. If you want to support us, couple ways to do that real quick. Number one is leave a podcast review at Apple Podcasts. Uh, that takes no time at all and is free. You can also support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash filmpodcast where you can sign up for exclusive After Dark episodes. Thank you so much for listening, for supporting us at Patreon. We'll see you next week.